0: We can turn on the stress response just by thought alone. We can think about our problems and turn on those chemicals. That means then our thoughts could make us sick. So if it's possible that our thoughts could make us sick, is it possible then our thoughts could make us well? The answer is absolutely yes. You're listening to the Weekly Call Podcast with Austin, Hammer, and John. Welcome. It's enormously important that you do have the right friends if they make you a better person than you otherwise would be that's the ultimate gift it deals for the most part with success it deals with people who you started your life off with and what success does to them people look at you strange saying you change like you worked that hard to stay the same like you're doing all this for a reason remind yourself this fight that you're in this is what will make you stronger
1: there he is hello what's going on how's it going james meet john john meet james nice to meet you john heard lots about you
2: nice to meet you james and austin I've you know heard lots about you yeah <laughs>
0: good to see you james thanks for coming on good to see you i talk too. about thanks you a lot me. on
2: this
1: podcast i don't think you know but secretly <laughs> i i dropped I in know. a
2: couple of few things about like, yeah you know james you know when your buddy falls in love with a chick and you just can't shut up about oh, her oh yeah. You know? <laughs> No, yeah. yeah, that makes
1: sense. That maps. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um. So I. I mean, yeah, James. I tried to kind of explain to John, like you as a human being, but it's too big of a of a of an overview. No, it's so, good. Can you? Are you going to share with me what you explained to John? As
3: I, I'm curious to know what. No, I. I, I just being.
1: didn't. That's what I was going to say. I just didn't. Okay. Like, oh, I don't. Okay. Need, I don't even know how to take on this task. So, um. Yeah, I guess I in told other you. words,
2: yeah. Well, like in other words, like imagine right now you're sitting at a table. You know, you, you, you maybe it's like the first time you've met. Like you're dating a chick, and it's the first time you met her parents. And the mom, you know, eventually says, "Hey, so James, like, w- what do you do for work?" You know, <laughs> what's your answer to that? Well, I mean,
3: I'll <laughs> preface this by saying that my answer to that is is different in different contexts. So it's going to be <laughs> yeah, okay, very sure different enough. for for my girlfriend's mother than it would be for. <laughs> You know, most other people. If my girlfriend's mother <laughs> asks, I'm gonna I'm gonna go with the most stable sounding thing I can I can think of, and I'm probably gonna <laughs> say I'm, I'm in real estate.
1: <laughs> fair okay, enough. fair enough. One, um, I'll start with a fun fact, which is James, you're you still keep in touch with Chris, Chris Thompson. Yeah, uh, John, I don't know if you knew this, but James was a DM. As well as an I operator, and, no. yeah, he's a DM and a and a student works operator. Did really well in both both of them, and um, yeah, he just like I find it really cool that you also recognize the value that Chris brings and that you still keep in touch. I know you and Riley, and by the way, I don't know if you know this, John, but Riley's business partners with James Riley Oikle. Um, yeah, okay. Yeah, so you guys went on a, a dinner with Chris Thompson. I was just kind of curious, like, um, like for. Like for you, James, with somebody like Chris, when you find somebody like that in your life, you know, because I know you have a lot of similarities with views. Can you just, I guess, tell me a little bit about how you chose to keep in contact with somebody like Chris and how do you get value from somebody like that even outside of student works?
3: Yeah. I mean, I guess I always, I always looked at it as like whenever I'm taking advice or like looking to learn from people, um, I find like the context of their, their kind of whole life really important. I try to find people whose context matches mine as closely as possible. So I always like use the example of like, if I ask someone for business advice and they're like way out of shape and they've got a shit relationship, I, it might still be good business advice, but I always have to do this calculation in my head of like, what part of that may contradict, like may necessitate them being fat and having a shit relationship like maybe they're telling me to do something in business and it's like the side effect of that is that they are out of shape and they're in a bad relationship. Um, and so, yeah, like the context is really important and Chris is someone who I look at and I go, yeah, Mm -hmm. like, you know, in incredible shape, great family, great personal life, fantastic relationships, successful financially has an awesome business, very fulfilled. So I don't need to run that calculation when I, when I get advice from Chris, um, I still have to like put it into my own context because it's not not exactly the same, obviously. But um, yeah, I just, I don't ever have to worry about and kind of wonder like, oh, is Chris saying that I should do X, Y, Z because he actually values financial success over his health and he was willing to make that sacrifice, but maybe I'm not willing to make that sacrifice and do that same thing,
2: so. Hmm. I really like that thought process. Like it reminds me, we were actually talking about this on one of the last podcasts about there was a, uh, I think his name was Chris Williamson. He was interviewed by Joe Rogan and he was talking about how you can't just have one aspect of someone's life. Like, like if you want to be like if you, if you want to be a good golfer, like like Tiger woods, you have to have the childhood, you have to have the crazy father, you have to have the divorces, you have to have, you know, the sex addiction. Like you, you can't have just one thing. You have to have it all or none. Right. Yeah. So I kind of, is that, is that kind of a similar idea that you, that you, that you you hold
3: kind of, I think it's like, it's, it's along a similar vein there. Um and I also believe that to be true. Um, like, I think a lot of people look up to like entrepreneurs like Elon Musk or these like Mark Zuckerberg or stuff like that. And I look at them, and I'm like, yeah, I don't, I don't want their lives. Like really mm-hmm. cool what they, what they've done, but like, that's not me. There's no way that I would want to like sacrifice the, my relationships the way that they have or sacrifice the other areas of my life the way that, that they have. Um, yeah yeah I just, I just think that like whenever I'm taking outside information or outside advice, context really matters. no one's context is exactly like mine, but the closer that I can get to someone with a with a similar context to mine, the less filtration I have to do and the more the more likely the advice is to be actually valuable to me.
2: Just out of curiosity, is there any like notable uh, you know, entrepreneurs or business people, or you, they don't even have to be business related per se, but is there any like, uh, like public figures that you, you know, have read about or look up to that, that, that would fall into this, like, you know, their contacts. Like I, I, I like more or less, I, like, I kind of almost idolize them in a certain way.
3: Yeah. I wouldn't use the word idolize, but I, I would say that like, honestly, Chris is the closest there. Um, like, I just think he's got a really good balance of things. Um, and I, I just really, really align with Chris, um, especially on like his sort of prioritization of, of values, the way he prioritizes his relationships, um, whether it be family, his, um, his relationship with his wife, Helen, um, like, and just the, the relationships that he builds in his business, how strongly he holds to his values. I think a lot of that lines up. There's other people in business that I, um, that I have looked up to over, over time. Like I was um, really big into Tony Robbins for, for a number of years, um, really big into Sam Ovens for a couple of years, I'm working with a, another mentor group. Um, Amers probably talked about them a bunch. Cole Gordon and their team. Um, I haven't found that any of those people, aside from like maybe Tony Robbins, but not not even quite that quite as much. But I'd say that no one like quite lines up as well. But um, I find that if someone um, lines up. Well enough, and I'm able to identify the areas, like the ways in which they don't line up with where I want to be. Then it's still I can still derive a lot of value. So, like for example, um, I might look to someone like uh, like Sam Ovens and go, you know, there's certain things that I um, that I value differently from what he does, but I can I'm aware of that, and that awareness allows me to go, okay, like if I'm going to listen to what he's doing let me run it through that kind of filter that I, that I have for it to, to determine like what I can take and what I can leave. Um, so yeah, there's no, I I don't think I've ever come across someone uh, that I align with as well as, as well as Chris.
2: What's something that you disagree um, with uh, that, Chris, that Chris believes or What's something you disagree that he holds. I like believe that he holds.
4: mm.
3: Honestly, none that I've, none that I've come across. Like I, I'm sure there are some, right. Um, and like Chris and I haven't talked about everything under the sun. So I'm sure there are certainly some things there that, that we would, uh, that we would disagree with uh, or that we would disagree on. Um, but like core beliefs of his and core values of his um, and the way he lives his, his, his life. Um, yeah. Like I think he's living a pretty great life as far
2: as, as far as w- the way that I would want to be living life would you um you know i i guess i'm not as familiar with chris as you guys you know obviously I ran out west uh you know do, do you would, would you see you mimic chris in some ways like is there certain aspects of his life that you're like yeah for sure like you know obviously you don't run a student painting business but in a lot of ways like he's a coach and from what i understand you you do some consulting work is that kind of is that where you got a lot of inspiration for what you did was like looking up at chris as a you know i'm sure you got into student works at a pretty young age you see Chris like this is the man did you kind of mimic him in some ways
3: I think like I've learned a lot from Chris and I think earlier on I tended to mimic people and look up to them more now that I've kind of find found myself and I'm Mm -hmm. pretty like clear on who I am and what I enjoy I do less of that like less mimicking but um, I would say like yeah it was so I, I guess going into university I had the I think the like pretty like stereotypical list of careers in my head that most people do, which were like mm-hmm. I don't know, there's like maybe a hundred on there, and they certainly don't include like coach or like like business coach or like mm-hmm. entrepreneur or any of that. And so Chris was like my first exposure to, hey, you can actually like make a living and have a business where you like coach other people and help them to have amazing, fulfilled lives and like make that a core part of your life. And so I was like, wow, that's pretty pretty sweet. And so like, even in my second year operating, I was like, yeah, I, I want to do that. I want to like, I want to have an impact on my team and like manage my team really well. So my second year operating with Student Works. I made that my whole goal. I didn't set like a revenue goal that was aggressive for me. I set a goal because like in my first summer, every one of my employees quit. Like they all just dropped because it was like a pretty, there was a bunch of things that I screwed up and did wrong. So my second year I made it a goal that like every single one of my painters would like love what they did and, like love their summer, have a really killer time. And largely accomplished that goal. And that's what had me go and go, yeah, I want to be a DM because I like really am, am interested in this coaching side of things. That's what I enjoyed a lot. Yeah, I liked the sales. I was really good at sales, but like coaching to me was like way, way more fun, way more challenging, way more fulfilling. And then yeah, I think like just that's kind of evolved over, over time. And like, part of that comes from Chris. Part of that comes from looking up to Tony Robbins during that, during that period. Part of that comes from like the way I've structured it now is like, there's a lot of core stuff in there that is like largely influenced by Sam ovens. Um, and so yeah, it's like influenced from a whole, whole bunch of different places I
0: would say.
2: Yeah. Well, I find, you know, I find it interesting cause you know, like, uh, you, you look, you, you, you like, if you look at the people that you look up to, I mean, all of them have the same common, like common thing right i mean like when i think of sam ovens when i think of tony robbins when i think of chris the the thing that i think of instantly the first word that comes to my mind is coach or consultant or something like that right is that is that kind of how you would describe yourself for sure yeah like that's that's the the stuff i enjoy
3: like i um like real estate is something that i'm interested in it's like stimulating for me intellectually um and it's a it's a way that I it, like, it's something that I can coach really effectively. But like the coaching is the goal for me. The coaching is what I enjoy. Um, yeah. So that's, that's like the, the piece of it that I really enjoy
1: a lot more than anything. Can, can you explain to John, I know you're telling me you were in, uh, in the sauna a couple of days ago, people asked you, Hey, like James, what do you do? And you know, you told them about the businesses that you run just quickly, like catch up John, like what are the businesses that you run and what are you focusing on right now? Sure. So I've got like,
3: um, I've got a few things like, and one thing really, that's the, that's the sole focus. Um, uh, so basically like I've got a company that, so I, when I started, I started managing properties on Airbnb for other people in Toronto. And then from there, I had a buddy that slept on my couch because I was like renting it out on Airbnb. And he was like, oh, this is a cool business that you run. Have you ever heard of this guy, Sam Ovens? long story short, that's how I got into Sam ovens. And he was like, you should teach people this business. So I started teaching people that business launched a program called BNB mastery program where I taught people how to manage other people's properties on Airbnb. That business is still running to this day. And that, um, that business takes up about like two hours out of my week, um, where I do like two Q and a calls. Um, but everything else like growth wise for that business, um, has been put on the back burner, put, or put aside. Like I've just basically like stopped it. Um, because inner circle is my main focus to take a kind of side tangent when I was growing BNB Mastery program I had the opportunity to do like a joint venture where with a company called Learn BNB it's a blog um, it was like the number one blog in the Airbnb space and so I had an opportunity to promote my training program to their list of 30,000 people that went super well so I decided to actually buy the majority of that company so that I could run like more partnerships uh, more promotions to the email list and the audience so I still own 70 or 75% of that company. And my business partner is Simon. Simon's the guy that I co-wrote, um, Airbnb for dummies with. And so that business learn BNB, still exists and it still makes some money, but like completely passive, like it literally gets no time or attention. Um, and, and like largely kind of served its purpose for me. Like I acquired it so that I could run promotions to the list and, and make money selling BNB and mastery program to that audience, um, which I did and still do. Um, and then the the main business is basically like about two years ago now. Riley Oichel, um actually moved in uh, moved in with me, and for a number of years he had been investing in multifamily residential properties in like southwestern Ontario. So just buying duplexes, triplexes, that kind of thing. Syndication or uh, through his own capital? His own capital and joint ventures. Um, okay and so he had basically been like always investing in long-term rentals and had always wanted to invest in short-term rentals but never had any like short-term rental know-how meanwhile i had always been managing and coaching and teaching around short-term rentals but never actually bought them because i just knew nothing about how to buy a property and so that ended up being like just kind of this incredible match where he really wanted to wanted to buy them i really wanted to buy them but both of us lacked the knowledge that the other person had so we started buying short-term rental properties together um, and started a like mentorship program, initially like super side project, hey, let's just coach a few people how to, how to uh, invest in short-term rental properties. And then the demand for that ended up being pretty substantial. I think mostly driven by the fact that I had like, at that point, a hundred thousand person email list of people that were interested in Airbnb management. And so like a decent portion of those people were then also interested in investing in Airbnbs. And so now that's our, our main business. So like in terms of what I do day to day, it's like two hours a week, I'm on Q&A calls for b and Mastery Program, still enjoy that. It's like my zone, I get to just coach the students that come in, that's pretty sweet. And then Learn b exists, makes a bit of money, but it's like totally off to the side, doesn't take any of my time or like mental bandwidth. And then the remaining time is, is kind of all invested into Inner Circle. Um, and then I also am still investing in more properties as short-term rentals, but see that largely... like it is wealth building, real estate investing. Like that's great. But like largely the reason that I'm doing it is to gain more experience, more knowledge, like do different projects. So I can then like have that fuel inner circle and the coaching I do in there.
2: What's the timelines here? Like, so like when you first started, uh, you know, managing other, like, so just, just out of curiosity, did you actually like you're you went from running a student works business and then, uh, you, you quit that completely then started managing other people's Airbnbs or was it like you were managing your mom's Airbnb, and it's, you're like, dude. Fuck, I it's can even better. That story is even better. Tell them about your okay. university and student works. Every, like you gotta, you gotta
3: give them that. Sure. So, so basically, like ran a business for two years with student works. DM'd for two years with student works. In my second year, of DMing, I was like, I'm gonna start a business, and I started this watch business um, where I would like basically oh, get, this is
0: so good.
3: This is so good. This
2: yeah, is like you,
0: the, what was it called? The pursue. the I fucked up yeah. speech or whatever. You yeah. Know? Yeah. What's it yeah. Called? yeah. I, I, I I've
2: actually seen this speech. I didn't know it was you. <laughs> yeah. 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 Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. So it's
3: called fuck up night. And then that was my, oh, that was the, that was the
2: one, the one speaking engagement
3: that I got from that business. So that was sick. Um, but yeah, <laughs> basically what happened is like, it's, it's a long story, but like the, the, the TLDR yeah. of it is like, like I was manufacturing watches overseas, selling them domestically in North America, um, launched it with a Kickstarter campaign, didn't fund the whole Kickstarter campaign. So I was like a couple days to go and I was like, oh, I'm not going to hit my goal. And then I'm going to have to like refund all this money and like not get any of the money and like basically just like from from scratch. So like a true idiot, I was just like, I'll just fund it the rest of the way myself so I can like get this and I'll just figure it out. Did it ended up completely crashing and i like i ended up in debt by 50k part of that was just like wrapped up debt on my on my credit card and stuff and then part of that was money that i owed to my manufacturer johnson um like over over in china um and so when i left student works like i basically decided while i was launching that business during my second year dming that's when i decided okay i'm gonna go and like actually go do my own thing because i don't like for a number of reasons they didn't want to keep on going with student works and didn't like see sure. that as my long-term future so i was like sweet by the time i i had actually finished that year with student works i was like totally broke and and just like in the hole everything had pretty much crashed and burned by that point um so then i was like what do i do just run away to thailand i'm just gonna like run away from my problems and just like go to thailand for a bit because i didn't know what else to do with my life so i did that makes sense and then Johnson called me up out of the blue one day and I like answered it cause I just didn't know who it was. And then I, I had been like dodging his phone calls being like a complete piece of shit basically. Um, and was just like terrified that like this international manufacturer was going to come and like cut my, cut my legs off or some shit. And so, he basically ended up going into this like really inspirational speech about like how I needed to overcome adversity and like honor my word if I was going to be successful and like told me about the challenges he had had when what? he was starting his company. Yeah. Yeah. It was crazy. Dude, crazy. So <laughs> I, so I end up feeling like I'm complete dirtbag, total. You're like in Thailand
2: crap. taking this call and you're like, yeah, Buff. yeah. I was <laughs> yeah. Like, I was literally like
3: on my way to a massage <laughs> to like get this like cheap ass massage in Indonesia. And so I was like, okay, literally that night, I went back and I was like, I put together this plan of like, okay, I'm going to launch an Indiegogo campaign. Cause basically what it was, was like, I owed Johnson another like 10 grand. Um, but, and he had like these partially manufactured watches and the 10 grand would get me those watches, but I just couldn't sell the watches for like, for the life of me. And so I needed $10,000 to get the watches but I needed the watches to get 10 grand. Cause like I was trying to figure out how to like sell the watches to come up with that $10,000. Cause like, that was the only way I could think of to make sure. the money back quickly. So I was like, sick, I'll launch an Indiegogo campaign selling these watches for like my break even. I'll figure out my break even so that I can make that 10 grand from the Indiegogo campaign. And then like, and then send that to Johnson, have him complete the watches, ship them to me. And then I'll ship those out. And that Indigo campaign, I launched like the next day from an internet cafe in Bali. And it ended up, um, it ended up just fucking blowing up. Like, I think I I I remember the
0: campaign, yo, James. Sick. No, there you go. That's the watch. That's a pursuit watch right there. <laughs> Live boldly on the back. That's what yeah. you know. Yeah. I was selling yeah. them all for like
3: below what it was costing me to like get them landed to the customer, but just like enough that I could break even on what I owed Didn't to Johnson. did you make Johnson. a video as well? Yeah. I made a video, like literally just walking down the road. Uh, like the camp- Yeah. I remember the watching that video. It was literally just like a selfie video walking down the road in Indonesia. There's like cows beside me. And I was just like, <laughs> just so honestly and and like vulnerably sharing yeah, that I'd like great. completely fucked up and like this is where I was at um, and it was like the perfect timing too because it was like November it was right before Christmas and I was like I'll be able to get the watches to everyone right before Christmas like this is sick and so it ended up blowing up and I raised more in that Indiegogo campaign than I did with the original Kickstarter campaign made like 24 grand sold literally every single watch I had in inventory so it was enough to like basically get me right back to to right around break even like zero dollar net worth um, so like pay back Johnson pay off some credit card debt, that kind of thing and that's around the time that I got a phone call from my buddy Sam, um, Sam Simons, who is another student works guy and he was over in China working with this other company anyway he was talking in my ear about like hey we should start this like property management company managing Airbnb properties like and he was telling me why because he was he had been doing some like R and D for the company he was working with. It was like a real estate investing company. And part of that R and D was he had to like reach out to a bunch of property managers um, that were managing short term rentals. And he was like, man, these guys are making bank. Like it's a really good business model so i went back over christmas to just like see my family for christmas and i was like if i can sign three properties under management while i'm back for a couple weeks over christmas then i'll just like stay in canada i won't go back to asia and i'll and i'll just like do this and build this business and if i don't then i'll just like fuck off to asia again because i can't afford to live in canada and i'll like figure it out from there and so (laughs) yeah so i ended up signing like five or seven properties during that like little stint that i was in canada it went really really well and then I just stayed and, and built that business. And then that kind of took off from there. And it was like, it was, I think like two years, Sam ended up coming back from China. We built the business together. We got to like 35 properties under management. And it was like two years from when I first started it. That like year is this roughly? I'm really bad with years. I think I started in like 2016, 2017, I want to say. okay, Something and like so, that. So,
2: so, you, so you managed other people's properties for approximately two to three years or so. And then from there, was it, was, the, was, was it on purpose then to like increase your leverage of being like, well, I guess I could manage other people's properties. That's only so scalable, but I'd rather than coach other people just because it had more leverage behind that. Or like, what was the idea of transferring to being a coach?
3: Kinda like the catalyst for it was my buddy, Paul, who's like now one of my best friends. And he just literally stayed on my pullout couch because it was the cheapest Airbnb in Toronto. Um, and he
0: like, he was from- New Wait, Zealand. wait, wait, hold on. The cheapest Airbnb was your couch?
3: Yeah. Yeah. What
0: do you mean? Cause you can rent, like you, you, you would, can
3: rent like a pullout couch in a shared space on Airbnb. So I had my,
0: I, I was living. At are that, you joking? I've never seen this. Yeah. No, I've that's, that's literally
3: because at the time when I, when I decided, Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to like move back to Toronto and build this business. I was like, okay, like what do I do to pay for rent? Right. Cause like we had these properties, but like we, they weren't cash flowing right off the bat and we were just like figuring everything out. So at wow. first I stayed on Sam's sister's couch for a little bit. Um, and then uh, and then I kind of overstayed my welcome there and was like, yeah, I've got to find a place. So I was like, wait a minute, why don't I just like rent a three bedroom apartment and get the landlord's okay to for him to let me rent the 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 other bedrooms on Airbnb? And then like I ran the numbers and I was like. Oh man, I can probably like pay off the rent entirely and live for free if I just Airbnb out the two spare bedrooms. So it's and like so, a
2: sublease house hack.
3: Yeah, basically. <laughs> and so and so then I was like, well shit, if I'm doing that, I might as well rent out the pull I'll put a pull-out couch in the living room. And I did that. And so I was actually like paying for mm-hmm. all my rent and my grocery expense just from renting out the the place. Pretty and funny. so yeah, and so it ended up being that like then Paul ended up just being one of the one of the like travelers that stayed on my couch. And then he was like, he was from New Zealand. So he knew Sam Ovens when Sam Ovens like operated his whole business out of like a Dropbox folder that you got. He was like one of the OG Sam Ovens guys. And so he was like, yeah, like you should, you should check out this guy, Sam Ovens. And like, you should like, you're literally running a business that takes no money to start up. You have this incredible like hero's journey story that you can tell people. And like, it's something that can be done remotely. You can travel while you do it. Like you're, you're making good money at this point. And like, he was like, man, this is a business model that would like do so well with an online course. People wow. would love to learn about this. And so I was like, okay. And then we went out for dinner one night. He ended up staying for like a couple of weeks. Cause we like just really hit it off. And then we went out for dinner one night and I basically was just like, cool, download your brain into mine. Tell me everything I need to know. And he like <laughs> mapped it. Cause I literally like no context of online business. Like when I ran pursuit, I paid these guys, these like these web developer like $15,000 to build me an e-commerce website cuz I like didn't know what Shopify was and didn't realize that like you could just build a website in an afternoon that would be like e-commerce capable be wow. like done. Like wow, I had I no online business knowledge at all. So at first he was talking like complete gibberish to me. And and like literally up until then I was like cool. I I always knew that I would use my success from the property management company to get back into coaching. That was always the end goal. I literally have it written down in my notebook from like when I was in Thailand. And I was like, I was going to do like public speaking and go like the Tony, Tony Robbins route. Um, but then, and I always thought it'd be less like direct. I didn't think I would literally coach people how to run a property management business. I just thought like, I'll get my own success in business and then coach other people on it. Um, but then Paul was just like, yo, you can just do an online course and like teach people how to do this and you'll get like into coaching and do it in an online way. And then like, he just showed me everything and I was like, sick, this is pretty cool. And then, yeah.
1: yeah. And James, here's the cool thing. You always had a backup plan because you went to university so you can just, or what happened there? No, yeah, I I dropped out. (laughs) Yeah. So I, I dropped out of university. I went
3: like my first year university, I ran a, I ran a student works business, my, and then I, and then after that, during the summer, I went and spent all the money that I had made during my first year operating, um, on a road trip across America and just like road tripped across America for three months. And then I came and I was about to drop out. I was like, yeah, the school thing isn't for me. But then I was like, you know what no like i'll give this like one more try i'm not going to give a shit about grades i'm not going to give a shit about anything i'm just going to try to derive value from this because i i hated the idea that i was just like going to school in order to get good grades, in order to get a job that would allow me to make money, that would allow me to enjoy my life. So I was like, no, instead of focusing on the grades that I don't care about and that aren't making me happy or fulfilled or anything, I'll try to focus on learning, which does make me happy. And I I do enjoy that. It does fulfill me. And so I went back and like operated uh, for a second year and then also did a semester in university where I was like purely focused on getting value from the education and like the learning and still didn't enjoy it so i was like yeah i'll
2: just drop out and then when i when i dropped out i started dming full time Mm. Mm, okay and so so at that point so now you're coaching people um now does this does your coaching then lead into the pandemic is that kind of was that then disrupted by that or did you get out of the coaching uh in in in, are you talking
0: about student works john
2: no, sorry. I'm talking about oh, okay. uh, coach. Sorry, coaching people on uh, managing mm-hmm. their own. Basically, you had a, a, a property management company like a, or like a yeah. vacation rental company a property management company. Yeah. You then side decide, to decide, okay, I'm going to no, no longer do that. I'm going to start coaching people on how to replicate that business model that worked for me.
3: Well, I actually did. I actually did both in tandem. And then there was just like a lot more opportunity, enjoyment, fulfillment, everything in the coaching side of things than in the property management side of things. Property management was like, it's a very like operationally intense business if you want to scale it. Like if you want to get past the 35 properties that we were at, um, it's like, it just basically the business shifts quite a bit and it becomes like to make it more than like a $10,000 a month type of like kind of chill business, it just like requires a lot more of the like operational and logistic stuff that like isn't really my like it's not really exciting for me. No,
2: no, it makes sense. And so, but, but I got out. So you started to training people on that, though.
3: So I started training people on uh, on the property management stuff while running the property management business. The training blew up. Growing the property management business was like, oh, I don't really want to want to do this. And so I sold my portion of that of that business um, to to someone else. They ran it with Sam for a while, and then yeah, and then I was coaching um, for like. A couple of years before the pandemic and then coach people like through the pandemic. Um and yeah, and, and still coach people on like so I still do the BMB mastery stuff where I teach people the, the property
2: management. When stuff. you sold your 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 portion, like were you 50-50 with was it was yeah. his name, Sam? Sam, yeah. How come Sam didn't want to buy it just out of curiosity? Because um Sam was just like basically Sam was going through a lot
3: personally. And so yeah, I had okay. been like kind of carrying a lot of the a lot of the effort. We both knew that. And Sam just knew that if I handed it over to him, he'd be like completely fucked. So um, he he was like, yeah, I'm okay with you leaving, but like, I cannot possibly do all this on my own. Um, so yeah, so I sold it to like someone else that was very competent
2: and had the, had the ability to, to like do well with it. Makes sense. So then yeah. at that point, you're focusing primarily just on coaching other people how to scale up to that $10,000 mark for more or less. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And did that lead you then into the pandemic like does that take us to 2020 at that point or is there kind of yeah yeah okay yeah what happened to you just out of curiosity like what happened to your i mean i i I could only imagine that when the pandemic hit there was probably some moment of like holy fuck is this is this still a viable business model like can you walk us through that part of your life
3: not really honestly like um, I had been, I had like just trained myself so effectively over the years to not give a shit what was going on externally and to just like focus mm. on like what is really showing up in reality right in front of me. And so okay, sweet. when the pandemic hit, I was like, I was like, okay, we'll see like what happens. I don't know. Maybe this will be like, like everyone else. I didn't know if it was going to last like a week or a month or a year or whatever. And then what ended up happening is the business actually grew quite a bit, um, because, there's a few reasons, but like a lot of areas just like blew up in popularity during the pandemic because it like in North America, especially because as soon as people were like constrained to, you cannot fly international. They were like, I cannot live in in like New York city and just like not go anywhere and be like confined to my room. So like all these rural areas outside of major Metro areas just like went insane. And so there was a huge amount of demand for that. And then a ton of people, like they just realized that, Oh shit, like this like my job and working from home and all this like sucks and they like hated it. So they wanted to find other businesses. So like for, COVID was actually really good to the business um,
2: overall. Makes sense. So, yeah. And just out of curiosity, uh, when you say manage, just kind of backtracking a little bit, when you say that you managed other people's Airbnbs, uh Like as in uh, someone owned a property and you said, hey, like if, you know, right now you might be doing long term rental or, you know, whatever, we'll take it over and we'll actually, you know, share the revenue with you from their vacation rental. Or were you guys doing more of an an Airbnb arbitrage where you were like uh, renting the property from them and then then basically subleasing it on Airbnb?
3: Yeah. So we did a little bit of the arbitrage stuff in the very beginning. And then we like yeah, very okay. quickly realized, oh, shit, this is a terrible, terrible business model. Super because, risky, like, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like wildly yeah, okay. risky and like tough on okay. cash flow. So then we, we went yeah. purely into the co hosting side.
2: Yeah. Cause I guess there's less risk at that point. Cause if you're just managing someone else's property, effectively, if it doesn't generate a lot of revenue, it's like they 20% of zero revenue, is zero. Yeah. Yeah. I guess, but whereas the other one's more of a fixed cost business, right? Yeah. yeah. yeah with a high gross margin, that would, that would, Cause I, that's why I was asking about the pandemic. Cause I was like, I was curious to see if you were doing arbitrage cause that would be what a terrifying business bottle that was. horrible. Oh my God. <laughs> Can you imagine having 35 downtown
3: <laughs> so bad. Toronto? Like condos. literally yeah. literally Saunder like almost was on like the verge of going out of business, like
2: uh, stay out for like, Sorry.
3: They're, they're like the largest ar- arbitrage company in the world. And they're like the kind of poster like work kind of
2: thing, right? Like we worked at that for office space more or less.
3: Sonder literally is like this huge venture-backed company that was once valued. I don't know what they're valued at anymore. But they were once a oh, billion company dollar based company. Out of Europe? No, no, they're in they're oh, okay. SF. I think they actually started in Montreal, but they're based out oh, okay, of SF okay. now. But yeah, they literally just rent places and then flip them onto short-term rental. That is their whole business
2: model and they're oh, venture-backed. And
3: I was just like, this is a this is like a house of cards. Yeah, I know.
2: I, but, I just get anxiety yeah. thinking about that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, okay. So then at that point, so now- just so just just so i can get the terminology right because now you're referring to something called inner circle is that like a higher tier thing of so that's where we teach or?
3: people how to actually buy the properties and rent them out on airbnb themselves um so I they're see. investing so in short pivoted from, from
2: so, so okay so like the whole managing other people's and then coaching that where you know that's one package deal that's kind of its own business but we're yeah. kind of so we're moved on from that yeah. now where we're at now is uh again is it, again is it on purpose that you guys because i mean i'm just noticing a pattern here you guys keep increasing your leverage like on you know like because now you're not only because you're like okay well we know how to uh you know airbnb and, and manage those properties and but it's like hey like if we owned those properties that would be pretty smart and then yeah. you're like well i guess if we used other people's money to buy those properties that's even more leverage because we can actually have more property. like is that is that on purpose or is that just kind of naturally just how it worked? yeah like it's it's on purpose like i i um
3: it's a, yeah so i guess it's on purpose but not I'm not I'm not purely looking to gain more leverage, um, okay. but I'm always looking to like, I'm always trying to, so like, okay, so for example, right, you, you mentioned like using other people's money to buy those properties is more leveraged, which it is, but with leverage in that sense comes additional risk exposure. And so like, I largely don't any, like we did some, some joint venturing, um, Riley's done a ton of it. He's way more experienced it than I am. I got into one and was like, man, this stresses me out. Like I don't, I, cause like that leverage is like, it's leveraged investing where I'm investing with someone else's money. And that's like, I don't enjoy the investing. Like I'm not passionate about it the way I am with coaching. So the additional leverage and like being able to do it on a bigger scale just stressed me out more and like gave me more, like more mental, like just, it took up more of my mental bandwidth than anything else. Yeah. Okay. Whereas when I gained more leverage in coaching, which is like, I have an, a bigger opportunity vehicle because I can obviously charge more when I'm teaching people how to make you know millions of dollars than when I'm teaching them how to make tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of dollars. So like that kind of leverage is sick because there's like there's no additional risk really with doing that. And it, get, it allows me to like, just make more money and it allows me to do something that I really love. So there's like more factors than just the leverage alone.
2: But yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. No, I get that. Okay. So is, is your, your, so your sole purpose as of now, like, you know, your, your number one thing is this inner circle. Like this is the, the high level coaching for yeah. you know, basically buying Airbnbs and then managing them. Is that, is that effectively what it, what it is? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, and then, and then is the, you, you and Riley's side of the business, that's like you guys buy your own and then, and then Airbnb those, is that, is that merely just because it's like, Hey, like we're making so much cash over here. We need to do something with it. This is my, this is within my circle of competence. I might as well build an asset base or like, how does that.
3: Yeah. So Riley and I invest in the properties and then Riley and I also co-own and co-run BNB inner circle. Um, and so the investing is basically like it's two things, right? It's like the more investing that we do in short-term rentals, the more experience we get in buying like the different, like initially we bought see, just cottage properties. Cloud. Yeah. Yeah. Makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Right. And it's like, it's more content, it's more knowledge, yeah. it's more experience. Yeah, and then, yeah, we've sense. got like a bunch of cash that's being spit off and it's like, what else would I invest in? I can, I, I do invest in other stuff, yeah, but like, makes this sense. is a great, yeah.
2: Okay. I really like that. Okay. What do you think the next step is for you just out of curiosity? Cause it seems like, you know, like we've, we've gone through a bunch of different things, like is yeah. the inner circle, like what's the evolution of that? Do you think?
3: So one of the things that I, um, like I basically was kind of sitting on my hands for, for a little while with BNB mastery, like I tried a bunch of stuff to try to grow the company. And like, ultimately it was just kind of like, if I would grow the revenue, shrink the profit, grow the revenue, shrink the profit, and like kind of hit the ceiling. And ultimately, yeah, okay, fair enough. Ultimately, what I think that came down to a lot was the price point being at two thousand um, dollars. It was like when you have a, a training program at two thousand dollars, and like we tested different price points over the phone, we could sell it really consistently at twenty eight hundred dollars, but we couldn't go any higher than that
2: effectively and like keep good margins. And it's pretty labor intensive to sell over the phone, right?
3: Yeah, and so like basically what it would what it would work out to is like we would hit like hundred k a month. And then some months it would be like, "Cool, we're making like sixty k in profit. That's fucking sick." And then other months, our like sales reps would just like get in an argument with their significant other and like be at a, like at a whack. And like yeah. the margins yeah. were so variable <laughs> that like it's like yeah, literally another month we would like lose ten k. Um, yeah. Okay. And so yeah. it was just wait. And then, and so then we, we pivoted and went to like an automated sales funnel and that went well, but like, you're just playing an advertising game there, right? It's like, you're just competing with everyone else that
2: like no competitive advantage at that point. Like it's
3: really tough. And so like inner circle, we provide way more value so we can charge way more. And so with that, with that additional, like with that additional margin, we can scale way further. So, um, yeah. So the, the goal right now is just like, just focusing on scaling BNB, BNB inner circle. Like we're at about a hundred thousand dollars a month pretty consistently right now. And like, I I can very, very clearly see how we get to three and 500,000 revenue, 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 yeah yeah, revenue. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah, and so like, it's really, really easy to see where, where we get to like 300 and 500 K in revenue. It's literally just hiring salespeople, which is like what we just kind of finished doing and are still hiring a few more people. Um, but yeah, like, and so we're just gonna keep growing that. And then um, not like beyond that. It's like, we, we want to keep scaling. It's unsure. And it's unclear until we get to the kind of crest of like $500,000 a month, what it'll take to keep scaling beyond there. It may just literally be selling more units, or it may be something like offering a back end offer where we teach people how to do larger deals, um, like raising investor funds, which is why like in the next six to 12 months here, Riley and are probably going to be raising investor funds and going and doing like a GPLP structure where we go and raise a bunch of money under a limited partnership, go like and managers. take down like a, uh, yeah, like Matt Andrews is doing, and then go and take down like a larger uh, a larger property, like a boutique hotel in the like five to $10 million range so that we can then teach people how to like gain that leverage and do things on a bigger scale and kind of have that as a- I as ascension for inner circle too. so effectively and-
2: you're trying to level up your abilities within the airbnb game like you i i, I it's kind of cool like i mean because you're you're coaching people on the things that you've already done but then you're still on the like it's almost like there's two sides of you there's, there's the growth side of, you know where you're you're trying to clearly acquire more knowledge of how it is that you can level up within the airbnb game but then there's yeah. also part of you being like hey guys like when i get to the next level i'll throw a ladder down for you that, yeah like, that's well that's of, literally that's kind of cool, the it's whole, kind of a cool yeah that's the yeah. point
3: of getting to that next level is to throw that ladder down for people right like
2: like yeah, obviously there's in every of... single way like because like, i guess at this point like you know because I, I guess like you um like why like why do you hold on to the uh bnb uh, mastery program like versus sell that just out of curiosity like is it just kind of a hat it would be just a hassle to sell it or it's not sellable or what's kind of going on there
3: yeah. Like, I mean, like as far as, so there's two options, right? Keep it going or close it down selling. It's not an option. I am okay, okay. in a lot of ways, the yeah. business, it okay. just would not be very sellable. Makes sense. But like the, the audience there is super valuable to me because a lot of the people okay. that are, that do that well, or that are interested in that end up also joining BNB inner circle. Um, okay. and then the only effort that I put into it right now is like two hours a week um and it's two hours a week purely doing what i really really love doing which is the coaching like it's literally just two hours a week where i'm on these scheduled q a calls with the members and like coaching them so i really enjoy that and if i get to the point where i'm like oh man i really can't take this extra two hours a week like it's really limiting me then i would consider dialing that back but like i'm pretty reluctant to because it's just like i fucking love it like i really really enjoy doing it
2: and that's kind of the whole point is to to spend my time doing what i enjoy would you say like it's it, like if someone was to buy your B and B mastery course, uh, and and you know do it as instructed or whatever, and you know utilize it to the fullest ability, um, like they would be able to scale up their Airbnb business to about ten thousand dollars a month in profit, or is that revenue? Profit, yeah. See, I think that's so fucking. And how long does how, how long does the course take? Just out of curiosity. It's a six week
3: course, but like going through it and implementing yeah, it at the same time, obviously isn't going to happen in six
2: weeks. But, but. Yeah. Sorry, where I was going. Yeah. But when you say six weeks, I mean, th- th- my point being is that I just find this uh, so fascinating because of just how outdated the university model really is in so many ways. Oh, yeah. It's like, insane. Yeah. Like like when I, when I hear someone like yourself, you know, and... It, it, it's it's so mind-blowing to me that someone you know because obviously you're legitimate and there's a lot of people in your space that you know and we can maybe get into that later in the conversation but there's a lot of people in your space where you know it is a bit of a wild west like in a lot of ways where there is yeah. a lot of you know riffraff that can you know enter into the consulting game and not necessarily have the same you know uh, credentials or the same experience you have or you know deliver the same value that you and am do but i just find it so fascinating that like really with university it's like you know you could go f- through four years spend i mean ample not, not only more time but more money and ultimately what do you end up getting versus you know what you're selling you know i just find it so fascinating how someone could look at university and be like oh yeah that's a, that's a for sure thing you know and, and not question that 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 purchase whatsoever or it's just it's yeah. like you know a large percent of society just that's just the natural that's the natural progression high school university whereas someone would look at course like yours and be like oh, i don't know it might be scam yeah (laughs) you know yeah like what's your general kind of uh you know feedback or uh, idea on that like university versus something like yourself because i mean ten thousand dollars a month i mean that's a top five a top five percent earner in canada and very few university degrees are really going to get you there within you know a year let alone four let alone seven
3: you know yeah yeah i spent i spent a few years being frustrated with university for sure um yeah okay like yeah i I largely kind of echo the same the same thoughts that you have there um yeah, I stopped really like caring about it um, a few years ago when I was just like, man, it, it's just what it is. Like, like, it's not worth like even thinking about or like talking about it or anything like that. But um, like, I will say that, yeah, I think there's, there's like a lot of innovation that like, there's a lot of opportunity for innovation in the education space. And like, we're seeing it. Like, I view our industry, this like consulting and online education industry as like, one of the first of many disruptors to the traditional education space. And it's like, you're, you look at it right now and you're like, Oh, it's so small. It's like tiny, tiny, tiny little drop in the bucket. And it's like, but I, I just see it as like, it's ultimately it's going to, it's going to need to shift. Like that industry is going to need to make shifts because for like a small, small group of people that need that formalized education for the career they're getting into um, it's like, it actually is effective. Like, you know, your doctors, your lawyers, that kind of thing. But for like, Everyone getting like a BA or like getting an entrepreneurship degree, it's like you're basically just pissing away time and money. Um, and like you can argue that, like, that like all the relationships you build stuff like that, but it's like, yeah, but like you don't need to spend like a hundred thousand dollars and four years of your life to build some relationships, like, you can do that in other avenues too. So,
0: yeah, like I did a BA and a master's degree in business after, and I would say confidently, the only transferable skill that I have today. Is just a better ability to read and write,
2: and like also pretty important. But you (laughs) also, but you also probably would have
0: developed
3: a better ability to read and write with like how many years was that? Like you know, just that was uh, by reading six years. And and in all honesty,
0: (laughs) if I was going to, if I was not a Quebec resident, if I was not a Quebec resident, and uh, and pretty much got to do all this for free. Uh, like going to school in Quebec as a Quebec resident, mm-hmm. I 100% wouldn't have done it. Yeah. Like if I was paying like. I, I like You the were, you just, the you just didn't those, realize it because you're paying with well, your as time. a taxpayer. Not, no, your time, yeah, not your money. And, and a taxpayer in Quebec. No, for sure. But I also was looking at it a lot more financially at the time, right? Like, oh, this is a great deal. Like I'm not paying, you know, like a quarter million dollars for a for a degree or, or two degrees.
3: <laughs> but it's not it's not actually worth the quarter million dollars to begin with is the challenge, right? Like. Like that's the, that's the tough part. Is it like, like, like you were saying there, John, like people go and they just like, just because it's the way it is, they go and they spent $40,000 a Mm -hmm. year, but that's literally just some arbitrary number that they pulled out of the sky. Right. It's not like, like, look at the endowments of, of colleges in the U S like they don't need the money. Right. It's not like they're not looking at it and going like, oh, we need to maintain an X level of profit margin and we have to pay our salaries and we have to pay our overhead. And like this is like this is in order to maintain a like healthy profit margin. It's like literally they're just charging more because they can charge more because and like fun- fundamentally it's fueled by the fact that banks are lending money. So that people can like their their customer is the bank. Their customer is not the student, right? And so, if like you actually look at the charts of growth and tuition rate. Again, and this is mostly just I'm talking about the U.S. But if you look at like growth in tuition rates relative to inflation, tuition has just skyrocketed. And like primarily, the catalyst for for uh, tuition skyrocketing yeah. <laughs> was the banks having non recourse lending for education. I was just what to say? So it's like. Teams.
2: James, do you think that? Um, so, just out <laughs> of curiosity, like if if uh, if people could borrow money from the government at effectively like a very low interest rate, and then also they couldn't they couldn't default on it, do you think that would might give some headwinds towards your business, or not headwinds, but some tailwinds behind your business? Like, do you think it's that insane. might benefit you slightly?
3: Right. It's like, yeah. do you think
2: that do you think that might increase the demand of your business if you could borrow money? You know, and not I, think to, so. you know? <laughs> I think so. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think yeah, pretty yeah. Solid. <laughs> so. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Solid. So, yeah. Yeah, it's but funny. it's like—are oh, you
0: taking out a loan for the uh, for the inner circle program? Like, yeah, we'll we'll write you a blank check. Yeah, like, no worries. Right, and so it's like it's like you know, <laughs> people,
3: but then people go and they go and they look at it and they go like, oh, like I'm getting even in your in your case, right, Austin? Like you looked at it and you went, oh, I'm getting this thing that like yeah, like I didn't take out a student is, loan to do the and like that's a win. Yeah, but yeah. like you know, what's it actually worth, right? And so the, like you know, the way that I like to look at it with education now is like what's it actually worth, I can usually just determine the ROI on it. If it's like, if it's a something like, um, like going to university where you're getting like tactical knowledge, you're not learning how to like, be a better listener or better communicator. And that's like the, the ROI on that is a lot harder to calculate. But the ROI on tuition should, in theory, be pretty fucking like cut and dry and easy to calculate. And then yeah, you can look at it like it's not worth 250k. It's actually worth whatever, like 2500
0: or whatever it is. So in, in the U.S., Gabe just shared this stat. After yeah. adjusting for currency inflation, college tuition has increased 747% since 1963. Yeah. That's just... A little bit. Yeah, well,
2: James, <laughs> you know, so, you know, on the same, like on a similar line to university as well, like, one thing I, I, I've also, like, you know, back to the kind of the value proposition there, like, one thing I've also just never really understood about universities as well as like the durability of the information like like not only is it like how much are you paying for this information that's clearly not unique like it, it's, yes. it's not unique in the sense that everyone's going to the same but you know roughly getting the same education you know whether it's a top university or bottom university they're all getting the same information and so it's like what competitive advantage are you getting in the marketplace of you know in this case if you're going to just start your own business maybe something else but in the job in the job market what competitive advantage do you have right whereas yeah. i guess in something like your like your value proposition it's, it's slightly more unique information as in as there is some limited supply but. well and it's
3: it's also like i think if you if you look at it right like i i think one of the things that had me like come to terms with why university like i i used to look at it and go like why is this still around like why are universities why do they still exist how is this possible and it's a
0: norm it's a culture. Well, thing it was too, largely
3: right? because I was looking at it through the lens of entrepreneurship, right? Where it's like, mm-hmm. it's so obviously just like a total hoax when you look at it through the lens of entrepreneurship. But if you look at it in the context of, I'm, I want to be a doctor or I want to be a lawyer, it's a very, very different story right? Like you need the specialized knowledge. You need to go through like rigorous training. Cause like, I'm not going to let someone cut me open and like shift things around inside me when they went to some (laughs) online course that hasn't been validated. Right. Like that's a very different, that's a very different, um, they did inner circle med school. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like, you know, if, if you look at it, like, um, if you look at it as a, as a whole and like in all the different verticals, like there's different verticals where where the, in, the university model does make a lot more sense than it does in entrepreneurship. But like with entrepreneurship specifically, I'm a big believer that like if you're going to university for it, unless you're going to like one of the top tier universities where you're learning from like real incredible entrepreneurs who have done it themselves, you're just wasting your time and your money. Cause like I, I went to Carlton and studied commerce and entrepreneurship and the only entrepreneurship course that I took in the first year and a half was a course on ideation, which translates. It's literally a course on how to come up with a business idea and not Mm -hmm. one time, by the way, in that entire course, did they ever talk about, you should go to the market and see what problems people have that they're willing to pay for solutions for. It was purely like, oh, sit down and do a mind map and do a brainstorm and like, see what ideas you can come
0: up with creatively that are gonna, it's so, like. Yeah, I did I did something similar. I took so a graduate that, level entrepreneurship class from a professor that had never ran a business or started a business. Yeah, doesn't map I that well. Just, and just, we're just going through like a, like essentially a curriculum. Yeah. I was mm-hmm. just like. Yeah. Yeah. you Yeah. Um, J- Go ahead, Austin. I was just going to kind of flip the script a little bit here. Like we talked a lot about your direct knowledge and, and transferable skills that you have with regards to actual real estate investing, property acquisition, things like that. I'm a little bit more curious to know, like you said you have this real passion for coaching. So it sounds like you also have a unique ability to deliver the material and also hold people accountable to it and almost like for their sake force results. And then that retroactively kind of falls back on building your brand too, when you can have people with your guidance, accomplish the results that you're coaching them to, to get. So I just wanted to ask you, you know, who are you to your business right now? And how has that evolved? Because I'm sure over the years, like you've had to redefine yourself a few times as a coach or who you are to certain people, whether you're, maybe you're coaching employees, not just clients and and stuff like that. So I just want to know how you've leveled up as a coach and how you've kind of cascaded throughout those levels.
3: Yeah, are you asking like what's my role in the business right now, or are you asking more like like what's
0: what's my identity? Like, I guess it's two different questions. One, what is your role, and then two, who do you see yourself as as a coach? Like, could you describe your style? Sure. Yeah.
3: So my role in the business right now is like it's a lot of things. Like we're still we're still like in growth mode, like kind of where like, I'm very much a business owner operator, as is Riley. So like, I'm getting on interviews with like the potential sales hires. And then I'm like, mostly where I should be and where like my defined role is, is that like, I run the operations and marketing side and Riley runs the sales side of the business. Mm -hmm. Um, And so like, I should be managing all that like that the operations and marketing side from a high level. So I've got a guy on our team, Jacob, who's like our our first ever hire. Um, he's a stud, and he like basically works alongside me, and um and I'm mostly working with him. But then I, I'm also jumping into the sales side because we're growing a lot right now, and like I'm needed mm-hmm. over there. And then also obviously I'm coaching on the like with the with the students. Um, so that's kind of my role in the business right now. And then, um, my coaching style, I would say is like very strategic. Like I've just gotten really good. Um, I think one of the things that I've gotten really, really good at over the last number of years has been like looking for patterns, recognizing patterns, and then breaking those patterned patterns down. So like, I'll look at, you know, what's, what we do how we do it. And then I'll go, cool. Let's like, just break this down into a system and like find everything, every piece of it and then go, okay, now let's use this system and go and like actually run it. And then let's find every single inefficiency in this system. And let's remove those inefficiencies. And let's like, Mm. just get like, take kind of an engineering approach to get to be the most, like the most efficient system it can be. And then I'll have our, our students do it. I'll be like, that's kind of the system that we end up teaching is that one. But then naturally, once you go and have like, 20, 30, 40, 100 more people with all their different like contexts and backgrounds and ways of operating, go and apply it. You then realize, oh shit, there's an inefficiency that I didn't see. And then you like go and correct that. And I've just gotten really, really good at that. Um, And then I think Mm. that the same kind of thing shows up in communication, like on the actual coaching calls is I've gotten just good at like having someone describe where they're at, what their bottleneck is and being able to identify like what is the actual Point of constriction there, which so often isn't what they think it is.
0: That last part you just said, helping them realize the points of constriction, is what I truly view as the coaching. Mm-hmm. Everything that you described up until that point, I would say, just by my definition, would be more consultancy because you're actually optimizing the structure and going back and fine tuning and and engineering a system and structure that's actually sellable. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to ask you, like, if you were to take a sample of, <clears throat> let's say, a hundred of your past clients, like both your, you know, let's say really good clients and really s- clients that are struggling. um, What what would be some common things they'd all say about you? Like if they were to maybe say three words about their coach, James, like what, what do you think would come to mind for them? Oh, man, that's a good
3: one. Um See, my like my first thought is just like look at our MPS surveys and like do and like do a an analysis of like yeah, get what some the three real most data calm, back. Yeah, before like, I, I want internship. real I want real data on this as opposed to like a guess. Yeah. But if I yeah. if I have to take a guess right here, I would say that like just from from reading those like uh, those MPS surveys, I know that like systemized is like a, a one that comes up a lot. People really like mm. thorough is another one that comes up a lot. People are often like really surprised at like just how granular and thorough that the training gets. Yeah. Um, and then I think like nice shows up quite a bit. Cause like I do, I do kind of go out of my way, especially on, on like Q and a calls and coaching calls, to like just be really nice. I find that like a lot of coaches can kind of be just like dicks to their to their students because they're like oh this is such a stupid beginner question
0: and like they're like oh you don't get it yet why are you here yeah and
3: it's like it's like I get it like I've been doing this for a number of years so like a lot of the questions that I get on Q&A calls are like super super obvious to me and but like I, I I don't know I'm just like I've managed to really stay in touch with like I know where you're at I was there like you're not an idiot you're not stupid like you're right where you should be given like where you're at right mm-hmm. now.
0: So I think like that shows up to a lot of people as just being really nice. Yeah, I'm just trying to kind of piece this together because I've, you know, talking to people that are that are successful coaches, it seems like there isn't, there's no one formula. There's no one style that just works, right? Like there's a, there's a mix based on who, you, you know, what your personality is like and who you're trying to be in your business and what your role is. And so it seems like what you have going is really really working for you. Do you think that there's any room for you to currently redefine who you are as a coach in your business? Like, do you see an opportunity for you to get to a new level of coaching with what you have going on? Yeah, definitely. And like, I, I, I think the way that I see it is like, like with
3: student works at the DM, the like the coaching role was a lot more, it was a lot more about like holding people accountable, um, to what they mm-hmm. say they were going to do. Um, because like with student works, it was like, it's already so systemized that like literally all they have to do is follow the system. Right. If they
0: just like for
3: most people, most student works operators, if they stopped thinking they would do better. Right. Like I know I kind of fell into that bucket of like, I would think too much.
0: Right. We looked at it that way. Yeah. Yeah.
3: And so it's like, it's like one i think that once our business gets to a place where we've like systemized things even further and even further and even further and like gotten to that level that student works has gotten to or closer to it then it'll be like my role as a coach will shift a lot more to like just getting the people to do the thing um and Mm. yeah but like i I also think like as much i've never really enjoyed that i've never really enjoyed getting people who like aren't self-motivated to do the thing like add a few operators that were just like Mm. like it just it was just a grind man like they just like didn't want to do the work and it's like i never loved that and so i've I've largely tried to attract people who were not that and try to like just tell people they're like Mm. that yeah you know what not a good fit not like not really gonna gonna be a good a good vibe so i i really enjoy that like now because there's like a large barrier to entry because like it's, it's um it's quite expensive right. to work with us. And like, we've got like a few different levels of screening and stuff like that. The people that are coming in don't really need to be like dragged over the coals and like forced to do this stuff. So I think I'll, I'll end mm-hmm. up doing like a bit more of that, but never to the degree that I was before. Um, just basically because I'm going to select out those people.
0: So when you're saying like yeah. holding people accountable, you're also talking about like trying to, you know, This idea of whole life coaching where you're talking about like, hey, you didn't do what we were supposed to do or they didn't follow the system that you the way that you had discussed with them and how they were supposed to follow it. And so you're kind of unlocking a new level of conversation where you're saying, hey, is there any like where else does this type of behavior show up for you? And you're actually looking elsewhere than just their real estate or are you keeping it in that one section? That's what I'm most curious about. Like, do you get into other parts of their life? Sometimes. Yeah. Like, I mean, with B
3: mastery way more B mastery, we like, we have a whole week on mindset because it's like, when you're starting okay. a new business, you can't not work on your mindset and expect to, right. to like achieve, but like in inner circle, it's largely like people that are already relatively wealthy and they, and they're just figuring out like, how do I allocate this capital that I have in a way that is going to like give a good return, not have a huge right. downside risk. That it's kind a little of thing. bit more. It's easier. It's easier. It's just like easier from a coaching perspective to Mm -hmm. get, to -hmm. get someone from 10 to like 50 than it is to get from some, someone from zero to 10. Right. Sure. Getting from zero to anywhere is just like so challenging because literally
0: everything in your life is working against you. So that's interesting. So the way you're thinking of your two businesses is pretty much like that. Getting people from zero to 10 and then 10 to 50. Yeah. That's a great way to put it. I, I hadn't, I knew you like, I had never thought about your two businesses that way, but I could see it. So
2: did it just happen to be that this all happened to be surrounded by real estate and Airbnb? Or was that also, un- like, did you choose Airbnb? Like, did you like the, the economics of that? Or like, how did that even come about?
3: No, yeah, I was just, I was just broke and needed a business that I could start without any money. And like, like I said, Sam reached out to me and was like, hey, this is a really good opportunity. And yeah, it just literally ended up being that. And then I just, I just got so deep into it that now I'm just like, why would I ever leave this space? It's like, like it's so niche and I've become so good at it. And I've like done a partnership with Robert Kiyosaki and like written Airbnb for dummies and like got all this, like, like kind of clout, if you will, behind it, that it's just like, I can dominate this space. Whereas if I go like, and I can, I'm going to start to broaden out into like real estate and like maybe go a bit more broad, but, um, the broader you go, the more like diluted your messaging tends to get. So like, you've got to go a lot, like Grant Cardone is like the pinnacle of like the real estate guy. And it's like, it took him decades to build to that. He didn't just start out being the real estate guy. He literally started being like the, the direct sales guy and then got into like the, the real estate sales guy. And then he got, and I then think like even just, before that, it was the like car, car sales. sales yeah. yeah. It was literally was car, car sales, sales, sales at the very yeah. beginning. Yeah. yeah. And like, he's like broadened over decades. And I, I see myself probably taking a, a path similar to that, yeah, okay. but
2: it's not something that's going to happen overnight. Yeah. Okay. Hmm. So like, are you passionate about investing at all? Or is it, I mean, it sounds like the coaching really is your primary focus. Like, like the investing is more just like a side thought or... I'm passionate about like, so the thing that fuels me and like, so our, um, it was cool. We,
3: we, my, so Riley and I, we just put together like our, our culture deck for the company cause we're hiring quite a bit now. And we, and we identified a real need for that to get everyone kind of rowing the boat in the same direction. And our company, um, our company, uh, vision, like where we're going is, um, is helping our our students, like our members and our team, our internal team to profitably acquire a billion dollars in short term rental properties. And the 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 reason for that, like our mission, the why that's the 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 end goal is because we like it really just revolves around helping people to create financial freedom so they can spend their time doing things they love. So that's like that's really my passion is helping people to create financial freedom so that they can spend their time doing what they love and the like the more I can do that myself like that's why I I am interested in like investing right it's like it's another avenue for money to keep coming to me so I can spend my time doing what, what I love and then I teach that to people so that they can do the same so like that's how I kind of view all of it is that like without money you Don't get to spend your time. Like you don't get to choose how you spend your time entirely because you have to spend it either making money or foraging for food in the, in the fucking forest. Like you've got to, you've got to live. Right. So fair enough. Yeah. So
2: the the people that are buying your courses, curiosity, because you said that they're relatively wealthy already, because you're because you're now with B and B Mastery, I imagine it was probably like a lot of people that were more or less like not a lot of capital, if any, and they were more, yeah, and that's why they were going down that route. But so now people, you're helping people buy properties and manage them, so they probably already have some money, maybe already have some financial independence. So what do you mean by <laughs> financial what they love?
3: Yeah. So like financial independence is very different from having some money. Like if you have like 30 grand, a hundred grand, 200 grand, you're not financially free. Like you're not, it's no, not like you can not, just like no. not work. Right. And so that's what we're still helping these people build towards. Right. I so see. Like, so
2: that's your, so your, your, your average, like let's say the average net worth of someone that's buying your inner circle courses, let's say less than $200,000 kind of thing on, I don't know what their net worth. I wouldn't like, I,
3: I don't know those figures, but like, I know that the majority of the people that work with us are, like really hot like relatively high earning individuals so they're earning like 80 100, 200 grand a year kind of thing um, and they've got money saved up but they they've got like they've got income right is is what they, is what they've got and if they stop working tomorrow they don't they don't have large enough net worth um, that they could just like never work again and keep living the lifestyle they want to be living. Um, and so that's ultimately why they invest and that's why I invest, right? Like if I, if I stopped working right now today, um, I, I couldn't live the life that I want to live for the rest of my life, right? Um, I could live well for the rest of my life, but I couldn't like go and like travel whenever the fuck I want to go and like, you know, like do what I want, spend on what I want, that kind of thing. And like, that's how I view financial freedom. It's like, there's levels to it, like, but ultimately it's just like being able to do what you want with your time, like whatever that is, whether it's expensive or not. And so for some people, the bar for financial freedom is like relatively low because they just like want to live off of like 40K a year or whatever. And for other people, it's like a lot higher. And I don't see anything wrong with that. Um, and so like that's, yeah, I guess that's kind of around. That was a
2: long-winded answer to your question. Um, well, I'd like to kind of kind of nail you down or double down on, on the comment about, uh, you know, helping people get financial dependence so they can do what they love. I, I I would I,
3: call it more financial freedom.
2: I think like okay, just semantics. But
3: typically, people like yeah. what what I've experienced that people call financial independence, like not needing to work, um and then financial freedom is like kind of fuck you money. It's like you can actually do what you want, not just like okay. not work and maintain like a decent standard of living, but like you can actually just
2: live the way you want to live, whatever that means. Like okay. buying yachts. The part that I was going to gonna focus more on was less so financial freedom, but the part that I was going to focus on was doing what you love. And so yeah. like I find it interesting. So like. I I I suppose um, like you know th- this kind of enters into the whole like do you work to live you know live to work kind of idea you know or you know, the separation between the two like so I guess for you like it sounds like there is a distinction between like what you do for work and what you want to do you know, like it sounds like there's a there is a distinction for you or at least or at least you view there's a distinction for the people that are in your course that they're not necessarily doing what they love but they might be able to make enough money or build an asset base that they actually can go live the life they want to live right.
3: Yeah. So I think like for me, um, I, I've, I've built myself a life now where like, I, I'm, I, I'm doing what I love, right? Like I'm doing what I love and that also makes me money. Um, and I'm not going to love it forever. So like for me, the way I look at it is like, I'm investing and making money and like growing my my wealth because the next thing I wanna take on is gonna be bigger and more expensive. Like building businesses and coaching is like what I really love. But like I've toyed with the idea of software, like building a software company, right? And I think that would be really cool. I think I would really love that. And I wanna be able to do that. And if that means that I have to have like a million bucks to like drop into it, I wanted to be able to do that. I don't want to like have to go and raise VC money because like raising VC money is not something I would love to do. Like being tied to investors and having them lording over me is not something I would love. I'm very clear on that. So like, that's how I, how I view it. It's like, yeah, right now I love what I do and I'm doing what I, what I love and that's fantastic. But like in 30 years, am I going to want to be doing this exact same thing? More than likely not. I find that like. I always need to grow. And I think this is natural people is that they always need to grow, always need to expand, always need to be leveling up to like, continue to get fulfillment out of things. If I was doing this, even in five years from now, I don't think I'd be nearly as fulfilled and happy and in love with it as I am today. And so, yeah, I think the same applies to my, to my students, right. To like, to the, the members that I work with It's like, yeah, they might they might love it what they're what they're doing right now, but for a lot of them they go yeah I'm not gonna love it in a few years or a lot of them honestly they're like working a nine to five still and they're like no I don't love it and so then they're getting that like that financial freedom to do something like managing Airbnb's which they love for right then but like good chances are once they get five or ten Airbnb properties that, that they own and they've got a lot of money coming in then they're like cool. I'm making enough money that I don't have to have that nine to five job anymore. And I love it. I love doing this. But then like five years later, they might get bored of it, right? They want to do something else, something bigger, something better. So like money to me is just kind of like freedom points, right? It's just like, it's the the currency that you can use to buy more, like to give yourself more optionality, give yourself access to like doing different stuff. Um, If I want to go and like I don't know if like I decide tomorrow that I want to buy a $10 million property. That's what would make me like really happy and fulfilled. And like that I would love. I don't currently have the, the means to go and do that without going to a bank and all this other stuff. Right. So um, the, if I had a hundred million dollars,
2: I would be able to do that. And it's just like that unlocks more options for how I can live my life. I see. So more or less, you love what you do and, but you, you're more or less saying, okay, well, I would rather have more money than not have less money and so if i'm if i'm doing what i love i'm going to try and accumulate more wealth so that i have more freedom in, in the future right like you're you're almost like predicting like you're actually like you're basically predicting hey like i'm actually gonna not enjoy what i'm doing now and in the future if i have more money i'll probably have more freedom to choose whatever i want to do like you don't want to be like yeah is there like a, almost like a i don't associated with like not having money and then, and then being kind of stuck in the situation where you have to do things you don't want to do man yeah
0: like absolutely, yeah. I I, did. I would also emulate that just personally. I would say. Yeah, I, I think, think every I, human probably more, fucking I, emulates that. Yeah, Man, <laughs> no, but like, I just <laughs> no, no, no. But just in terms of like the debate of like, do you have to love what you do in order yeah, to select yeah. that as your career? Like, I think I like what I do. I think James, you like what you do. But there's this idea of like not having to like have to do it. Yeah, it's not it's not having to do it is one thing, and like I think that's kind of a
3: like it's a that's a level of it, and like I don't know. Like I don't have to do what I do right now. Like, be, like, okay. So for context, I I still don't pay myself from BNB Inner Circle. Like, like, literally next month is the first time that, that I'm gonna draw like a regular monthly payment. Um, and and Riley same same thing from BNB Inner Circle because BNB Mastery like pays for all my living expenses. It's like I'm I'm cool. Like I don't have to be doing it, but um, like I I would like. There's just. I don't have ultimate freedom. It's not like I can do whatever the fuck I want because like some things take a lot of money. And largely, I think that the things that that make me the most happy, the most fulfilled that I'm like most excited about, I was always like a math kid growing up. Like I loved it and I love problem solving. I love that like logical problem solving. And so solving bigger problems excites me a lot more than solving small problems. Solving big problems is typically very challenging and that equates to usually being expensive as well um and so having more money just gives me like it gives me more of an ability to do that right like i can just solve big problems like go and like like hire i don't know man it's like it's like we just hired um our first full-time uh full-time employee was jacob and jacob is like like a proper well-paid full-time team member and the like the difference in how quickly and effectively we can grow the business with that versus without that is like night and day. So imagine being able to hire like 10 of those people, right? Like imagine being like that's why Silicon Valley startups grow as quickly as they do, right? Is because like they go and get the money to acquire the talent really and they just acquire the talent really quickly. Like if we had and and I had the leadership skills as well. Like if I had the leadership the Indiegogo skills
0: campaign, man. And and we had <laughs>
3: we had a team of like 10, 15 really good A players, like. We'd be, we'd be 10 times, 15 times, 20 times where we are right now. And like that stuff really excites me, so.
2: Okay, so right now, your your current financial situation is you don't need to draw a salary from Inner Circle, but you have the B&B Mastery, which is currently paying. Just out of curiosity, is B&B Mastery, is that a dying business? Is it stagnant? Is it growing? Like stagnant. Like kind of, Where's it at? Yeah. Stagnant, Okay what yeah. do you think the durability of that business is like is that something you like do you foresee yourself 10 years from now still collecting money from that or is that something you're like you know what fuck like this might be gone like is like why are you pulling money out of uh, uh inner circle now is it because you think fuck like this might this tap might run out or what's going on there um no like it's basically just because like because we we ba- like
3: yeah the only like so yeah there's a few questions there one was, what do I see as the durability of B&B mastery? I don't know. Um, tough to say, like I, I've always looked at it as something that could dry up tomorrow. Um, okay. now that I'm not focusing on growing it. So it's been really great that like for the last eight, nine months, I haven't been focusing on growing it and it's just stayed like exactly where it is, which has been like really unexpected and awesome. Um, so there's that. And then why am I pulling money from BNB Inner Circle? Basically, it just comes down to like, Riley and I sat down like six months ago and set like, we kind of worked at a number of how much
2: cash we wanted to have in the business before we paid ourselves a salary and we hit that number sense. now.
3: So like, that's why we're pulling money
2: out. Yeah, okay. And then, so is most of your wealth stored inside uh, Airbnb properties that you guys own? Or like where are you like, wh- what are you currently doing for investing?
3: Yeah, like I've got I've got money tied up in the in the properties. And then I've got like, just a bunch of cash. And then um, and then I've got like money in my TFSA and RSP. And yeah, then okay. and then a bit of crypto that Amber told me not to talk about.
2: <laughs> uh, for some reason i'm really I, I curious about the crypto james i'm, I'm so not again? curious though so it's not let's not go there yet <laughs> we not might t- we might touch at the very end we might I'm just joking. throw shade yeah, yeah, while yeah. you go out the door but no but <laughs> some shit no in. but um and, and so is that i i mean so and are is do you uh own the properties just just like i like to kind of get nuance with it so do you own the properties personally or are you do you have a holding company that you invest that you've bought those properties with and are they with riley that was kind of a lot of questions there but yeah
3: so it depends on the property um some of the properties are like are co-owned some of the properties are solely owned some of the properties are in hold co's some of the properties are not in hold co's the end
2: goal is to get them all into hold co's but like okay that makes more sense yeah okay and how much? Just I, I, do, how do you um, measure your Airbnb properties? Is it like, like would you count it as doors, or like how would you like how long? Sure. Is it yeah. For your portfolio.
3: Yeah, like it's not. It's honestly not huge. Like between Riley and I, we've got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven doors.
2: Seven doors. Okay.
3: And so he's got one tri one roughly. triplex, and then we've got four like single families. Um. So four single families in like kind of. Like cottage country north of toronto um it varies like exactly what city they're rural. in rural yeah 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 okay and then and then uh and then one
2: triplex in nova scotia and were these all yeah okay sweet <laughs> um nova scotia is a very interesting uh uh market hey like the, the, the that's price that's riley's yeah, yeah that's that's, that's riley's neck of the woods like that's where he grew up so he does some investing out there and were these all acquired within the last like were these all acquired recently or were these like, you've hold, you've had these for quite a while?
3: Within the last couple
2: of years, yeah. Yeah, okay. Have you bought and sold a lot of real estate or have you bought and then just held? Like have like have you sold much? Yeah, yeah. Like- so like
3: literally like I bought my very first property ever two years ago. Um, That was like, I, that was okay. my first property. Riley on the other hand started investing in properties like seven years ago, I wanna say. And so he's in total, he's got like 35, 40, I don't know, maybe like, I'm not sure exactly how many doors he has. Um, and, but he's, yeah, he's like, ju- I think he just sold his first, his first property ever, like uh,
2: a couple weeks ago. So he's just like bought and held. It, just because so I, I don't know much about Riley. Um, is, is, is it safe to say Riley is more of an investor and you're more of a coach and you guys came together or is Riley more like, like a coach as well?
3: Riley's also a coach. Yeah. Riley's also a coach yeah, like okay. in inner circle and like he, but it's, it's like newer to him. It, that's definitely accurate to say that Riley, so he's more Riley's of a coach background thing. is more so investing
2: yeah 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 yeah. Yeah, okay so you're more coach than investor he's more investor than coach you guys got together so he's kind of so that's that's why so he started doing coaching now
3: and i'm doing investing now yeah 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 for sure
2: okay and then so like just out of curiosity like what are some things that like so i imagine you're probably teaching him a lot about coaching and you're probably learning a lot from him about investing yeah what what are some things you've learned about investing from riley that you're like holy shit like there's levels to this game like you know he's like this many steps ahead of me everything,
3: literally everything. I didn't know. Like I, I actually just do like nothing about investing. So like, for example, right. I never, I never understood why the heck people, people bothered with buying real estate. I was just like, this is so dumb. Like when you actually look at the time for money, it's so dumb. I was like, like, you know, like, it's just so, it's so awful. And what, like just this stupid, like, man, there's so many obvious things that I like look back at, and I'm just like, how did I not get that? And what I never considered was that, 2% a year in appreciation is 2% on, let's say a $500,000 asset, right? But you've only actually got like 100K into that that asset. So if that property appreciates by 2% a year, super conservative, right? 2% a year in appreciation, then you don't make two percent gain on your money you make 2% on the whole 500k even though the actual money you have in it is 100k and like we don't yeah, buy like- for appreciation right we don't we don't buy for appreciation we mm-hmm. buy for the cash flow but the cash flow I'm just like nah eh, like it's good but it's like not that like life-changing but if you look at that appreciation over a 10 20 30 year period then it's like oh yes this is like this makes a lot of sense so I never quite understood that portion of leverage um, so like that's one of the mm-hmm. things that I was like, oh man, I'm an idiot. That's so dumb. Um,
2: yeah, but and like, it, largely it's all why weird. Airbnb. Like, okay, so, cash so you, you, But so you chose you. So you chose to get into Airbnb more or less just because you needed money, and then yeah. you end up coaching that because you wanted to be a coach. Yeah. But now that you're actually investing your money again, is it just a circle of competence kind of thing, or like? Like, what is it that you like about uh, the Airbnb? Like, what, what do you like about the economics of Airbnb that, that, that you're choosing to put? But it sounds like the vast majority of your invest, invested capital is all in that one kind of area.
1: Tell them some numbers on your Airbnb uh, that you've been running for like a year. You got to share. <laughs> yeah, sure. So
3: so like, there's, there's two different pieces. Like one, they actually just perform really, really well. And then two, is it like, I, it's, I view it kind of like insider trading. Like I just have this like huge, massive competitive edge in that short-term rentals are what I like study, like do and teach every day, right? So I'm just way better at it than 99% of people on the planet. So I can- make sense. Like it just like allows me, it's like if you spent 99% of your time just researching stocks and that was just like part of your day-to-day life, surely you'd go, you know what? Maybe I should buy a few of these, right? Um, so that's kind of what I've done. Um, and so that's one piece of it. And the other piece is like, obviously if you studied stocks and realized that no stocks ever made money, you'd be like, well, no, I actually shouldn't put money into them. But if you figure, figure out, oh, wow, some stocks do make money, you put your money into those. And so like the properties we get do really well. Um, so like we bought a property last year,
2: $520,000 renovated it. Um, put like, this is the triplex in Nova Scotia.
3: No, this is a single family home in like Buckhorn, Ontario, so like an hour and a half outside of Toronto. Yeah, okay. um, cottage country. So yeah, we bought it for five twenty, renovated it and furnished it for eighty grand, um, refinanced it at seven twenty five. Was the was the new appraised value on it? Um, and in its first year, it grossed one hundred fifty thousand dollars in revenue. Net after operating and carrying expenses was about eighty five. So. It's so like. John, man, I'm telling really
1: you, it's crazy. Cause, cause James knows exactly how to like renovate it the right way, furnish it the right way, take the photos the right way, write the copy the right way, list it the right way on Airbnb. and see the right pricing, way, I mean
3: like, like all that. Like I, like just knowing all that stuff that most people don't know allows me, like that was one of the top performing properties in, in that market that it was in, um, in its first year. So it's like. Yeah, like I've just, I've, like literally, like I just look at Airbnbs all the time. I look at the data behind them. There's like data mining websites. So I can literally see how well every single Airbnb all, all across the entire world does. And I can figure out like which ones perform the best and why and like know how to run those numbers, know how to like manage the property effectively, price the property effectively, like all that different stuff. So it's just like so much easier for me to get a win there than to go and like try to learn stock market investing and like try to learn what Makes companies sense. and like that kind of thing. So you know? if
2: someone else, so, so you, and you're, and you teach people to do what you like. So like, like, for example, you buying this property, like, was this a, was this a difficult task for you? Or was this like, okay, this is just a walk in the park. This one, like, you know, like this is going to totally work out. Like, like those are fantastic numbers, obviously. Like you bought a property for 520. You know, you you refinanced it at seven twenty five. I mean, effectively, you got most of your cash out of it. So, I mean, yeah. your your return on equity at that on at that point is just fucking ridiculous. Man. Yes, like you know, it'll go down over time, but right now it's so attractive that it's just insane. Yeah. Um. And how much time? That just out of how much time does that property take? Uh, <laughs>
3: That one, that one took quite a bit because like that was our first ever property that we, that we bought, right? That Our first ever short-term rental property that we bought. So like that one took- So how a much does time. it take
2: now though? Sorry.
3: Now I'm just finishing up one that like I I expect No, we'll that do, one now,
2: like do you still own that one?
3: Oh, oh that one. Yeah. Yeah. We still own that one. Yeah. I, I don't, how much? How since much it launched, I haven't spent any time on it.
2: Like, okay. So like, that's yeah, because you because you have all the systems like in, in place, yeah. like you know, the cleaners or whatever it is, you know. <laughs> yeah, to have the to have it run, okay. And yeah. so you teach people how to do that, correct? Okay, and are you like? You, uh, can you talk about how much your course t- uh, costs and things like that, or like the time commitment? Like, is there for sure? Yeah,
3: so it's like so the the program is a nine thousand eight hundred dollar program USD and then uh, it's a, it's usually a six-month engagement that we work with people way more hands-on than BMB mastery program so like we call it a done with you program so basically the way it works is it's like um on the initial consultation call we will if like if it's a good fit to work together then one of our one of our team members that's like on that call with them will basically like will basically say okay like this is this is where you're at this is the end goal right and we're going to work with you to get you to here in six months. If it takes longer than six months, for whatever reason, life happens, things get in the way. We're going to keep working with you until you reach this end goal. And that's what we're charging you, charging you for. We're not going to charge you anything more than the 9,800 to get you to that goal. So they're effectively just paying for the outcome. Um, and, and then from there, it's like they get access to the backend training, all the like tools and resources that we use internally, all that stuff. It's all laid out in like a backend learning portal. They get like the community with everyone else inside of it. And then they basically go right into an onboarding call with Jacob. Um, and so Jacob also acts as the success manager uh, for every one of our students. And we're going to build out our, our like account management team over time as well. But Jacob basically does like an, a one-on-one onboarding call with them where he like r- map, lays out a roadmap for them of exactly what to do. And then he checks in with them at least once a week, every single week to make sure they're on track. And then they also get, um, they get like four calls a week with Raleigh and I, that they can jump onto, ask questions, get coaching, that kind of thing.
2: And so the difference between B and B mastery and this is that B and B mastery more or less is a do it yourself kind of thing. Like it's it's just exactly a course, here's the like it's it's more or less here's the information. Do with it as you may. Whereas this is much more of a as you call it a hold your for hand you service do, done with yeah, you. yeah okay yeah done or done with you. I like that. I actually had a um uh one of our weekly ballers. His name's Ilya, and he was telling me he mm-hmm. he uh, have you heard of Black Card University? Yeah yeah, <laughs> Stefan Arneo. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Right. So he he uh although I think Stefan and Arneo's since passed, but yeah, yeah he's he, yeah. he took the cor- he he took the course. He's actually going through it right now. His name's Ilya. And he's had a fantastic experience. It's uh but mm-hmm. rather than like the niche that the that he's took the course for is uh, house flipping, but more or less they basically walked him through the entire process. And they had yeah. like a, uh, you could sign up for a three month, a six month, or a one year pr- process. And he made yeah. some fantastic money. I mean like but for all intents and purposes, like for how much it cost him to how much value he got, uh in like when you told me it was ninety eight hundred dollars U S. like, and it's a done for you service, like that seems like an immense immense value. Like, it, yeah, it, it seems hard to believe that that's profitable, <laughs> like yeah. for, for how much value you're offering. So, mm-hmm. um, I don't like that's that's like that sounds incredible. So like, uh, like what's your ideal customer study curiosity? Like, if you were to like describe, okay, like you know, here's, you know, the people that have had the most success with our course. Here's kind of the commonalities between them.
3: Yeah. So I think like um, our ideal customer uh, is basically someone that like. Like the, the really where like, and we will work with people that have like a little bit less money set aside and they want to do like a joint venture. Cause we literally have training in there of like, go how to go and find a money partner to do your deal with and like how to structure it, present it to them, all that stuff. But like our real like ideal customer who's going to get like the best results is someone who's just sitting there being like this money that I have is burning a hole in my wallet. I want to get it into a property because then it's so easy for us. We literally just like help them find. And especially like if they come in and they're just like, I am open to investing wherever. Here are my criteria of what I'm looking for, but like I don't need it to be anywhere specific geographically. Then it's like that's ideal for us because we can just go. But like, this is a great market here. Like we've literally got this enterprise level report that we spend a lot of money on to get from AirDNA that allows us to see the best, like top performing markets throughout Canada and the US. And so we can just be like, sweet, this market is on fire. It's doing really well, it's a solid market. Like regulations look good, checks all the boxes. Like here's, it meets all Mm. your criteria go and find a property like this in this market. They go sweet. They got on calls with us. We help them find the right property, run the analysis, buy it, set it up, done. And it's like, and do you, it's very, do you
2: typically recommend that the person lives in the, in the market that they buy the property in?
3: No, no. We like, some people want to, and that's fine. Like some people have a specific market they want to invest in. Cause they're like, Oh, I want this to be like a property I can go to vacation to when I, when I want to as well. Um, but like, we don't recommend it. Cause like we always recommend to people that even if they do live close by to where they're investing, that they try not to use that as a crutch because it's really easy to use that as a crutch and then like go buy to the property a bunch and have it suck up a bunch of your time. And if they and for some of them, they they like love that they love going by to the property and that's like one of the reasons they love investing in real estate is because they like to go and like see it and be there and be part of it and that's cool. But then other people are like, no, I don't want to be involved in it. But then because it's so close by, they like feel this urge to. Um, For sure, and even I do that sometimes, like literally there's a property that I'm renovating right now. And it's like, our team is having a really hard time finding contractors in that area to like renovate the kitchen. And part of me in my back, in the back of my head is like this, I, I just want to go up there and just do the kitchen myself, you know? And then I have to be like, no, that's so dumb. Cause it's like such a low leverage thing to do. <laughs> but yeah, but it's like, it's so easy to fall into that, like that, that mental crutch of just John, like, yeah, I'll just go do it.
1: Take no, it. In, he, he found Bought, is flipping and furnishing, and is going to list this entire Airbnb property from like the couch behind them.
2: Yeah, like and, and go and, there. And how yeah. much capital? Uh, so like, okay, so ideal customers obviously uh, probably around like How much cap?
3: Around hundred US. Uh, either because like you're, it's basically proportional. Like you're going to probably. I, yeah, I guess. It, yeah, yeah okay. you know what I mean.
2: Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm and um do, do the people that normally enter your course have business experience um some do um i would say normally no no cuz airbnb seems like one of those things where it's like uh i don't know like uh like it, i guess it's you could say it's businessy but I, I almost feel like there's an artistic side to it that that uh like a lot like if someone was like only a numbers cruncher i feel like they might <laughs> they might struggle with that part of it you know i don't know um i think if someone like i am I, I would put
3: myself into that bucket of like, not very creative, not really artistic, like much more of a numbers cruncher. Okay, yeah, yeah, okay fair enough. But I like in order to succeed with short term rentals, you have to think long term if you are that kind of a person, because if you're the kind of person that I'm where I'm like highly analytical, then the short term thinking me would go cut costs at all at all like for like cut costs at all expense, right? Like always just try to minimize costs because like that's gonna make the most sense analytically in the short term. But as soon as you go out and zoom out long term, it's like, no, if the guest is upset, like just give them like a partial refund or like do something to like make them happy. Because although like short term, from the number side, that's not good long-term from the number side. That is good because they mm-hmm. leave a good review that gives you a boost in performance on Airbnb's algorithm. Then you're going to get more bookings as a result at higher nightly rates. So like, yeah, you're going to lose $500 because you just gave them a, a refund on one of their nights, but it's going to cause you to get three bookings that you wouldn't have otherwise gotten. And so like having seen property owners be really stingy and like do, do different like stupid shit because they're not like, they they don't care mm. enough about the guests um and they're just super analytical i'm like yeah no even from a numbers perspective you have to care about your guests even if you are like not someone yeah. that like cares about customer service cares about your guests
2: from a numbers perspective you have to to succeed long term can mm-hmm. I, I this is i mean this is such a such a pointless tangent but nonetheless i want to do it because it's just i here as an airbnb <laughs> customer here's one of my biggest complaints i hate 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 when the host makes me take out my own fucking trash or like yeah i have like a laundry list of like here's the cleanup checklist. I'm like, no, fuck you, man. <laughs> like, yeah. I, like I paid this damn cleaning fee. Like yeah. every time, every time I rent in Whistler, it's always like, you, you must take out the trash. Oh and I the know, trash yeah. Trash is always like on the other side of like the fucking planet. The mountain. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. Well, cause it's all like, cause it's all bear safe. So it's like, you have to yeah. like navigate your way through like a tunnel in the basement to like find like some trash can. You're like, what the fuck? And so I, I, at this point I just, I don't give a shit. I just don't clean up after myself and I've never had any, maybe people give me a low yeah, you, every every time
3: someone someone messages you with that list, you just send them the link to my website. I'll fix them right up. But, but hold
2: on, but she was like you know, please consider this. No, but the reason why yeah. I bring this up though is because I remember when we were we rented an Airbnb in Quebec City, and I was like, I because when we were leaving, Ammer's like, no, like we, we you know here's the things we have to do, and I was like, no man, I'm not oh, fucking doing yeah. that. And then Ammer's yeah, like, oh, I remember this know, debate? Hold on, no, this me, was me, I think. Let me, well, it was all aw- no no. Well, Ammer had said to me, you want to be your best customer, but. Mm. Hold on, but I said, I don't know, man. I, I feel like this is not good. So can we actually just settle this debate a year after the fact? James, is sure, that yeah. actually just bad business as the Airbnb host? Or is that actually like a strategic thing of like saving cost on the cleaning fee?
3: No, yeah. So so two things on that. Uh I'm gonna I'm gonna make both of you guys right and both of you guys wrong here. Okay? <laughs> nice. Because I like so, that. Okay. So fair enough. So like so yes that is a bad strategic move for them to ask you right because they're just trying to like be stingy and cut costs on having their cleaner do that or whatever um but also just like be a good guest and like, you know, do some of that stuff within reason. So like when I, when I leave an Airbnb, I make sure that it's like all tidied up. Like things are nicely done up. Like the way I would leave my house if I were leaving on holiday kind of thing. Like I yeah. wouldn't have the trash yeah. be full if I'm leaving yeah. my house. So like that kind of thing. Um, but I think that's like a nice thing to do, not the bare minimum. I don't think that's the expectation or a necessity. So when hosts go and run their business, like that's the bare minimum and that's a necessity. Mm. I don't agree with that. And then as a guest, if you're going to just like leave trash everywhere, I'm just like, well, you're just being a shitty For guest. Sure. You For know? sure.
2: Yeah, yeah. Okay. No, fair
3: enough. Yeah.
2: So
1: we're both right. Yeah, you're both right.
3: I yeah, I would that. agree. Although
2: mm-hmm. I, I just I want to like put on the record, I, I was not proposing to put our trash or leave trash <laughs> around, though. Let the uh, record show
0: that, that John is more right. <laughs>
1: okay,
2: of course, of course. That's
0: funny. James. How many people would you say you've helped over the past six years, like in any capacity, as a client through Airbnb Mastery or Inner Circle? Um, well, so, so BME mastery, we've got like 650
3: ish students inner circle. We were just encroaching on a hundred and then learn BNB also has a hosting accelerator prog- program that's got like another few hundred people in it. And that just teach people like how to host properties on Airbnb, but that one's like purely just a course. There's like no support or anything like that.
0: So you're close to you're coming up on a round or maybe even crossed a thousand clients over. We, yeah, we, we've time. got more than a thousand in our in our like Kajabi
3: portal. And like and then another
0: hundred Man, in school, we're like around twelve hundred probably ish. That is really, really awesome. What about have you ever have you ever had any of your clients like kind of run into you on the street?
4: no, no.
0: That will happen one day. I I, I am actually I, I invited one of my uh, one of my students
3: from B Mastery up to uh, we're doing like this cottage weekend. Amber's actually coming. Um, and we're it we're going to Muskoka and he like has just crushed it over the last few months of working with me and building a business nice. in Muskoka. So we rented this like insane cottage in Muskoka and I was on the QA call with him the other week and I was like, hey man, like you should come up if you're if you're in the area. So he's gonna drop by. And I think that'll actually be the first time I will Ever have like met someone that I that was like in my program, not before they joined my program, but like actually they they join my program and then I meet them afterwards.
1: Do you ever get recognized from like people from YouTube or TikTok?
3: no like i have some of my friends like send me a a photo like a screen grab of like my youtube ad or my facebook ad or something like that and be like hey you showed up on my newsfeed or like showed up in front of my Mm -hmm. video or something like that but like i've never had someone like stop me in the street literally ever Mm -hmm. because they recognize me and like other
2: than just knowing me okay so i have some questions about actually like the investment side of airbnb so like uh does does the price of your market? I mean, I imagine this is something that comes up a lot. Like people are like, oh, I I can't do it where I live because it's just too expensive. Like that's probably mm-hmm. something that comes up a lot. Like for example, I live in Kelowna, okay, yeah. and you know, price of real estate here quite expensive. Does that really matter, or is it, or is it proportionate to the, how much income you can get in 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 different markets? Because it seems like when because when you say like rural uh, Ontario and you say Nova Scotia, first thing that comes to mind is like okay, like these are cheaper cheaper properties, right? Like cheaper markets.
3: Yeah. So like we're buying in the like 500 to $800,000 range is where we're typically buying. Um, Cause those properties are like in our markets, what tend to perform really well. Um And like, yeah, like the, just the numbers pencil out really well on those. But like, I have students that are buying like $1.4 million properties and like doing really well with them. Um So yeah, it really depends. Like the, like, you can't buy a more like prices in your market being high does exclude you from the market. If you cannot, if you don't have the capital to go and buy those. Right. So like that's a very real limiter for, for some people. Um, but as far as like, can you get a $2 million property that also cash flows well? Yes, you definitely can. Now that being said, typically if you're not going like that, one of the things that Riley and I, like I mentioned, are looking into to scale and like buy like larger deals but without having a whole bunch of extra risk, is buying like a boutique hotel, something like that. Because typically, what people will do to get like more, because like when you're investing, right, you'd rather manage one property than manage two, makes sense, right? And so, if you can get just as much cash flow on one million dollar property as you can from two $500,000 properties, it would just be easier to get the million dollar property because then you have like one set of gas, one, like one property to do the cleaning on everything else. Right. So it's just simpler. But the challenge is that typically the way people will do that is we'll just buy a nicer property. Right. Cause they're buying a property that's like mm. doubly as nice. Um, so like up to like five, six, seven hundred thousand dollars, you can achieve that by just buying like a bigger property. Like we buy four, five, six bedroom properties as opposed to buying like one or two bedroom properties. But then to get to that like one point one million dollar mark in the markets that we're buying in, you're basically just buying like a more luxurious, higher end property, um, and or you're buying a property on the water. Uh, And if you're buying a property on the water, that doesn't lead to better cash flow, so the numbers kind of break. And if you're buying a more luxurious property, then you can get more money, but if the economy starts to take a dive, that's going to be one of the first asset classes to get hit because the people that are booking it are just going to go, why don't I just book a slightly less high-end place? And then your backup plan is to put it on long-term rental. But if the economy is in a shit spot, n- not a lot of people are like renting luxury places in the middle of nowhere in like a rural market. So like your backup plan is pretty much shot too. So there's just like a lot more so risk. Really a lot of,
2: yeah, I, I like how much thought you've put into this. Cause I mean, like some of the objections that I always put up to Airbnb is, is like, I see people buying some property and it's like, oh, this is going to be such a great Airbnb. I'm like, I don't know, man. Like, I feel like if the market crash, like, that's going to be a really fucking tough property to hold, you know? Like, especially yeah. if you don't have, like, a lot of reserves. So, I like, I like, I like, I already like the, like, it seems like a lot of risk mitigation is already, like, on your mind, like, during the entire process.
3: Yeah, like, I, I just wouldn't, I personally wouldn't be able to sleep at night if, like, if I... Felt like I could just be like financially ruined by something like outside of my control happening. So, like, I care way more about downside mitigation than upside optimization. So, like, awesome. one of the first things that I always look at with a property is like, what is the worst case scenario? Like, as soon as yeah, I God. find a property that meets initial criteria, I'm like, what's the worst case scenario? If it'll cash flow negative no go. I don't care what the upside is on it. If I can like conceive of or look back on history and see a worst-case scenario where it would have cash flowed negative and I would have potentially been faced with the prospect of having to sell this at the bottom of the market and taking a big hit, I just won't do it. So,
2: and so like for example, like some areas uh like if there's just no option for a long-term rental uh for for some reason like that, that'd be a no-go for you because like obviously the downside risk if there if there was like just a slowdown in the like if we if we truly entered into a long-term I mean, we already are in a recession, but if we enter into a long-term recession or depression, like that's something that you just wouldn't even want to touch. So it
3: like, so the way that I look at it is like, there's never not a long-term option. There's always a long-term option. That long-term option just might be undesirable where you're cash flowing negative. And so like, I'll give you an example, like the, the property that we bought that I just described to you, the $520,000 one, whatever, that one, um, if we rented it long-term, it would like it would come a bit shy of covering the whole mortgage, taxes, and insurance, right? Like we'd probably be out of pocket, like five hundred, six hundred dollars a month, which would be like pretty shit, right? But if you look at that and you go, okay, well, we actually just cash flowed like just actual net cash flow. And that was like 85k in the first year of operating. That means that in the first year of operating in a worst case scenario, if like, let's say that short term rentals got completely banned for that property, it made enough cash flow in the first year to sustain itself for I don't know how many years that is right. So there's that and we can go, okay, cool. Like that's one way to look at it and go, okay, yeah, I can justify it and, and mitigate. But then we also look at it and we go, yeah, but like really, like, I don't know, there's not really much point in looking at like this apocalyptic scenario if it's not actually likely to happen. So we go, how likely is it that short-term rentals would get banned there? And then we look at their local economy and we go, oh yeah, their entire local economy in that market completely depends on vacation rentals because it's like the population four or five X's during the summertime with people going up to cottages. There's not a single hotel in the entire area. So every local business would just be shot if they just went and said, oh, we're banning short-term rentals, right? So we know they're not going to do that, but we also know that short-term rentals could take a huge dive, right? Like if the economy goes to shit and people aren't spending money, then it's going to take a big big hit. So like we look at our break even on short-term rentals and we go, yeah, like if we lost... 60 70 percent of our short-term rental revenue we that would put us at about break even and so it's like okay if we have enough margin that we can lose like 60 70 percent of our revenue and still be at break even and we look back over the last like five six years and we see that like the most it ever dropped was 10 percent then we can go okay It's probably going to drop more than 10% because for the last six, seven years, we've been in like an upward economy, but it's probably not going to drop more than 70%. And if it does drop more than 70% and stay there for like six, seven years until we run out of cash from our first year of operating, then like, yeah, shit, we made it back. How how is it
2: that you, how is it that you uh, have, like, where do you get the data to see like what, like what the revenue would be like from previous years and how much it would drop?
3: So it's a data mining site called AirDNA and they basically, um, they basically have the short-term rental like revenue data from every short-term rental across the world. And so we have like an enterprise level package with them where we can see there, we, we've like got unlocked access to their, the entire world's data. So we can see literally okay, so any anything that's rental. ever
2: been listed on uh, Airbnb specifically? Airbnb or
3: VRBO um, and not ever, but since, since AirDNA started. Yeah, fair enough. W- which was when? uh like pretty much any area because like they've expanded to different areas they didn't start collecting data for the entire world all at once but like pretty well any data you can look back like at least until 2018
2: so it basically gives you the income and cash flow statement of an airbnb property kind of it gives you the in- it gives you the revenue side of it you've got to work out all the like all the expense side of it to get your net numbers well, but I, it gives yeah, you all the revenue i guess uh, yeah fair enough yeah it just gives you revenue um hmm, that's super fascinating okay yeah, and I, and I, I guess you, you you always can be like, okay, well, I guess you know, if, if worst case scenario, if we have to hold out for three years, it's still going to be so profitable, and in, in you know, so I guess you can discount those cash cash flows back to the present, like it's still going to be worthwhile, right? Exactly. Yeah. You, you, matter of fact, you might even still buy a property knowing that it might have no cash flows for the next year or two, but you might it's going to be so money, you know, at some point in time in the future. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
2: Hmm. Interesting. Okay.
1: Hmm. You've probably picked up, and James, this is something like. You know, I just want to acknowledge you for It's like the way that you think and the systems like you use a system of logic, which are like mental models that, you know, John, Austin and I always talk about. But I feel like your understanding of them just goes way beyond me personally. But like that's something that I don't know if you guys picked up on, but, you know, opportunity
2: cost and just all these models that James just listed. It's like that's it's something very that, fascinating. Did, how, yeah. where did you learn that um are you a, an avid reader like a did, did, like did, or did you just kind of just self, all self-taught
3: yeah uh Amber brought up that this is probably going to be like a point of, of differentiation between us i know that he's told me that you just like read to read like and you read a ton um Yeah. I, I don't like, I read to learn specific things. So I'll like have a problem that I want to solve or something, some topic that I want to learn about. And then I'll go and pick up a few books to learn specifically about that. And usually almost always it's to solve some current constraint in like my life or my business. Um, so yeah, but like, I mean, all, all this stuff was like I've done a lot of personal, like I've done a lot of, um, a lot of coaching. Um, like I've just had coaches over the years. I've done a lot of like personal development and like business education, like Tony Robbins stuff, landmark stuff. Um, like going through Sam's training, going through, um, like a bunch of other people's trainings, going through like Cole Gordon's trainings now. Um, yeah. And then like, I, I have read quite a bit. Um, and I just think a lot, like I just, yeah, just like go through life and find problems. And then like, just figure out how to solve them like i'm I, i've talked about this with Ammer a lot uh which is that like i think i i kind of f- like the, one of the big differences i've noticed with Ammer is that like i i really really like to know how things work i like need to know how things work i don't really just accept that that things work so like Ammer, this is just a silly example but like Amber watched the movie Top Gun and then shared it, like was talking to me about it like a couple weeks ago. And he was like, Man, is don't you like, did you see that movie? And I was like, Yeah. And he's like, Wasn't it crazy in the opening scenes when you realize that like when a plane lands on an aircraft carrier carrier, there's a wire that grabs it and stops it? And I was like, I, I literally turned to Amber and I was just like, how on earth, like surely before this point in t- before watching this movie, you, you knew that aircraft carriers existed and that planes landed on them. Right. And like, how on earth did you go on living just accepting that a plane lands on a boat in the middle of the ocean without asking yourself, how does that work? Like, I, I feel like when I was a kid at like, at some point, I learned that aircraft carriers were a thing, and my natural thing to do was like go and figure out how the how the fuck that's possible. Like, how on earth mm. does an airplane land on an aircraft carrier and not just careen off the end of it into the water? Like, so I like I obviously knew that there was a it wire, a cable that catches. It. Breaks. Why would I think, like, <laughs> like that's obviously I that's I didn't know not how possible, long right? They were. So like, there's just I, I don't know. There's very few things that I just like <laughs> accept that oh this is just is what it is and don't understand how it works. I like tend to just like seek to understand how things work. And then I find that a lot of that, um, a lot of that like crop, like applies in all kinds of different areas. Like you learn something about aircraft carriers and then you're like, Oh, that same thing is true over here. And like, I don't know, like you learn something about nature and that applies to your business. You learn something about relationships with like your significant other. And that applies to your relationship with your business partner and all that kind of stuff.
2: How do you, how do you feel about, um, Kind of back on the investing side of it. So, how do you feel about people's uh, like inclination to try and time the market? Like I mean, when someone's like, "Oh, I don't know if this is a good time to buy," because like, what you know, what if what, what if real estate gets cheaper, or on the vice on the on the other side of it as well?
3: No, I think that's really smart. I mean, they all, they always say timing the market beats time in the market for sure. So, just I think everyone should just gamble their money away on it.
2: <laughs> <laughs> just fucking just enter you know w- yeah. wherever you happen to be yeah. wherever you happen to be w- when you have the cash. Well, just out of curiosity.
3: No, it's obviously yeah. like like, time in the market is always better than timing the market. Like like you want to buy a property because the numbers make sense on it, right? Like right now, like we always buy for cash flow because cash flow can't leave you. Like if you buy for cash flow you have a lot of protection. If you buy because you're trying to time the market or you buy for appreciation, that's a really, really risky game to play. And like it can do well, but it can also do really poorly. But if you buy for cash flow, it means you're never going
2: to be forced to sell the property, right? So I guess, I guess the one thing that I mean, and, and maybe I'm wrong, you know, this is obviously where you have a lot more expertise in Airbnb than I do. But I, when I was saying timing the market, I also kind of meant not even just like from the, you know, the, the price point in which you buy the property, but also the timing of, like Airbnb seems to me to be something like, you know, or I I shouldn't say Airbnb. I guess short term rentals is a better way of wording it, right? Because Airbnb is just one of the platforms on that. Mm-hmm. Right. But yeah, short term rentals seems to be susceptible to you know, it's it's a discretionary expense for for most people. Like it's it's vacation, right? And so how like how do you mitigate that risk of of a recession, you know, or, or, or people not traveling to that location that you, own, that you own your property. Cause I mean, it is just geographically located in one spot, right? It's one property in one city, right?
3: Yeah. You don't, you don't like mitigate it. You look at what happens, right? So like in, in 2008, um, like Airbnb grew tremendously through the recession. Like that was their first major growth spurt as a company. And you got to ask yourself, well, why is that? it's like, okay, well, when the economy takes a big shit, then people are like less inclined to spend money on, on expensive hotels. Um, and they tend to, they tend to like go to, go to Airbnbs more to save cost. And if you have the highest end Airbnb out there, that's not going to apply to you. So that's going to, that's why we don't tend to buy luxury properties. Um, and like yeah you'll take it you'll take a dip but like i said like you're not you're probably not going to have your revenue completely dry up the other thing that contributed to their to their growth to be fair is that like um like during the recession a lot more people need money so a lot more people list their places on airbnb um so you need to you need to make sure that you're like you're at the top of the, like at the top of your game, we always aim to be in the top. Um, we're always in the top 25% of the markets that we operate in, in terms of how well we, our properties perform in their respective like subcategories, but we aim to be in like the top five to 10% um, so that we can like, cause what happens is like, so here, actually, this is a pretty good way to, to explain it. It's like um, in, in the market that we, that we invest in, there's like a market up season high season and a market low season high season is like july through september um low season is like january and february um And in January and February, what happens is essentially the same thing that happens in an economic downturn, which is that demand, like supply stays the same, right? It stays relatively the same. There's a bit of growth in supply during the high season because like opportunistic people jump in and they go, yeah, I'll just make like 30 grand in a month. But um, for the most part, supply stays pretty much the same. Demand plummets because people are like, why the fuck would I want to go to a cottage in cottage country in the winter time when I can't go and swim in the lake, right? And so what happens is that the, the top 25% and even more so the top 10% of the market get all of the demand. So if you're in like this, the bottom 75% of the market, then you just get nothing. Like you get like small little table scraps, but the top 25%, like me and the ones that are like showing up at the top of the search algorithms have really great photos, really great headlines. Their pricing is dialed in. So it's like reflective of what people are willing to pay. They get, and we stay consistently booked. So like in our January, February, we're doing like, seven to ten thousand dollars a month whereas in our high season we're doing like thirty thousand dollars a month most people if you talk to most people that buy properties in our market they go yeah like i just converted over to a midterm rental during the low season because like you're only making like three thousand dollars a month it's not worth it and we're
2: making like three I see, you're times you're like that. yeah no, for sure man i'm struggling during the winter too and then like yeah you're like holy fuck. Yeah, <laughs> yeah 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 yeah." yeah. I get so it. Okay. you just have to be like yeah there's, there's a lot so- to it but yeah so, I mean, so I, I guess so a lot of your because okay, so when you say, uh, as long as it cash flows, you, you don't have to worry about a recession, anyways, right? If you buy it, you know, effectively, you buy the, um, if I mean, I, when you buy a property, I mean, ideally, you you are buying a, you know, a future set of cash flows. And as long as those cash flows cover all your expenses, then you don't really have to worry about, you know, the ups and downs of the market, correct? correct. Yeah. Okay. Exactly. And then, you, and then, and then another thing that that you that you kind of base your assumptions on is that more or less, the the low season is a reasonable representation of what maybe a, a down market could be like for your for your high season, right?
3: Not not in terms of the numbers that we pull. I'm not saying that like in a, in a in a recessionary period, we'd like pull seven grand a month or we'd like, it would just drop by that percentage, right? But what I am saying is that the same principle applies is that it's just like a huge decrease in demand. And when I there's see. a huge okay. decrease okay. in okay. demand, okay. Yeah. what happens okay. is not that everyone in the market sees an equal drop in the demand for their properties and everyone's okay. revenue yeah. goes okay. down Proportionally, it's that like yeah, the top players see a small drop and the bottom players see a massive drop.
2: Yeah, I, I like this. I mean, I mean, effectively, you know, I, I, and, and so this is where you you are trying to buy properties that uh, have some sort of competitive advantage against the other properties in the same marketplace. Right. And yeah. um, and so, I mean, I guess another way of looking at it is like during a recession, are people still going to buy iPhones? Probably are they you know are they are are the people that are using like androids are they necessarily going to upgrade their phone that year maybe not like you know maybe maybe apple users might still use it like is that kind of what you mean like you know like even though apple sales might be down during a recession it's they're still going to capture a large portion of the iphone or of the of the uh, cell phone yeah
3: like people are going to like trap spending on traveling is going to decrease i do not believe that it's going to hit zero like we're not going to hit a recession and then suddenly like no one is going to travel anywhere but like there are some sectors of the travel market that are going to be hit way harder than others so if you're like One of the ones that's the most resilient to recession is like business travel listings. So if you have a business travel listing, then it's likely to do a lot better in a recession because like business travel doesn't. And like, if you're kidding, like traveling nurses, that kind of thing, like that travel just kind of, it's not discretionary, not as discretionary, I should say as like tourism based travel. Um, And so like, and then on the other end of that spectrum is like high end luxury vacation properties. And so like, we don't want to be way over here. It, over here on like the business travel side, you lose a lot of upside. So like it's not, you know, you get a lot of downside protection, but like disproportionately uh, you're, you're losing upside. And we're kind of like somewhere over here where we're like a, we're a vacation travel listing, but we we're not, we're not anywhere close to being like a luxury high end. And we could literally slash our prices by 70%. And still be at break even. So there's a lot of margin for us to decrease our prices to get to get
2: bookings and still be still be profitable. So margin of safety is like is like a is a mental model that you use. Like you're always like factoring in like okay like how bad would things have to be before I actually like lose my shirt basically on this? Product. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Fucking love it, man. Yeah, it's awesome hearing you like just the way you the way that you think about uh, Airbnb investing is very similar to like how I would be like my stock investing as well. So it, it's kind of cool to see the parallels there. Yeah. No, but dude, he
1: thinks about this stuff. Every area of his life has equal amounts of thought. It's like insane. So this is one of the things
2: I admire about you, James, is how you do
1: one thing is truly actually how
2: you do everything. What are, uh, what are some things, uh, James, that you think like contribute? Like, I mean, uh, just from speaking to you, you seem like a very obviously well, well-spoken, well but also just a really clear-minded individual. Like what are some things that you think, that like you, like what are some habits maybe that you have or disciplines in your life that contribute to having like such a clear mind? Um, if you have one, I mean, maybe, 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 maybe you don't. <laughs> yeah.
3: Yeah. I think that probably one of the biggest things that contributes to me having a clear mind is, um, not filling it up with like shit. Um, like I, so, so like, for example, I, I got into this like joint venture deal, right. Where like I, I was largely outside of what I, where I felt comfortable and felt like I thought it all through. Right. Cause we were like, we were invested with another person's money um, doing this joint venture. And Riley had a lot of competency here. He had done it before, like everything else. But for me, I was just like, this is a little bit too much, too fast. Um, and so I got out of that deal. I ended up like actually just, just structuring myself out of that deal. Um, because it was like, I just think that if I like, again, along with the lines with that, like needing to understand things, I'm like, I just kind of looked at and I went, you know, like there's a, there's a reason that the bank doesn't just lend you, like if you look at what a joint venture is, right, where you're going and like invest, partnering up with someone else, they're using their mortgage capability and their capital to buy the property. It's like you're doing that um, so that you can like get more leverage than the bank will give you as an individual. Because the, if the bank will just give you that money and you had that cash, then you would just do it yourself. You wouldn't cut the, the other person in on the deal. Or like, not to say that you don't have the leverage in the cash, but like you at least have decided that you don't have the the leverage in the cash that you want to deploy into short-term rentals. So like, you know, maybe you have the cash, but you have it in like other other asset classes and you don't want to be that like that singularly, uh, invent- like you want to maintain some diversification. So you do a joint venture or whatever. And so um, I just looked at and I went, yeah, like, you know, there's a reason why I can't or don't want to do this with my own money and my own, uh, my own leverage that I could get from a bank. And it's largely just because like that, that amount of leverage, um, takes up too much mental space for me. It's like, it's just, it's a like a lot more, there's a lot more downside that gets introduced there. There's like a lot more of a worst case scenario. I think like one of the things that allows me to have a clear mind is just like, knowing that it's all going to be okay. And I think there's like a lot of people, especially in, in real estate and investing of all sorts that just like, even though they, they, you know, you see like the story of the person that like gets to this level of like huge financial success and they fucking lose it all. it's like, you could have just literally not been an idiot and, and then like not had to deal with that. And so a lot of like, I think a big part of me having a clear mind is just not being an idiot. It's just like not doing things that could. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Fair enough. And then, you know? and
2: then I, I mean, obviously a follow-up on that. I mean, cause I, 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 I kind of like, I, and like the mental models that you, that you, that you're using here are interesting. Like, I mean, effectively you're, you're using the inverse method, right? You're, you're basically saying like, look at like, I I guess, I mean, I'm trying to, you know, make money, but I'm also more importantly trying to like, what are the things that I could do to absolutely lose my money? Okay. I'm just going to stay the fuck away from those. Correct. So it's kind of like, how can I, how it's like, it's not, it's not just, how can I be a genius? It's how the fuck can I not be a dumbass? Right. Yeah. I like, I like that. Okay. So that's, that's, (laughs) um, that's cool. What are some things that you do, like some tactics that you use in your life to uh, prevent yourself from, you know, making maybe emotional decisions that would be fall into the dumbass category versus, you know, not. (laughs) Um like you seem like a very yeah. uh stable individual who is not necessarily you don't seem like you're in a rush if you know what i mean
3: yeah i guess I guess that comes down to just like my views on life. is it like like yeah I don't know i I had this like real big breakthrough. I remember I was living in San Diego at the time I was running BMB mastery program i I don't remember exactly the context but I still have it written down in a Google Drive note. I like I just wrote everything I was thinking and it was like this like huge breakthrough for me on um, up until then I had always struggled with patience because I always saw patience as like this lack of ambition and I could never I could never like have patience and drive coexist. It was like in order to have drive and ambition it had to it, like it was always hand in hand with a lack of patience and i just remember having this like light bulb moment and like writing stuff down to like remember it and i and i i've read it back a couple times since and like it's just like so good um and it was largely just me discovering patience and discovering that like life actually literally is about the journey not about the destination that like that that um Life isn't like I, I like one of the things I wrote down was that like life is much more akin to a walk through a park than a than a race. And I always thought of it like, oh, life's not a sprint. It's a marathon. And then it was this discovery of like life's not a marathon. It's not a race at all. It's literally a walk through the park. Stop and fucking smell the roses. Enjoy the whole journey because one day it's just going to end like it's just going to be over. And if you were just fucking trying to win this marathon, if you didn't get to the end, then like that sucks. Cause like the whole thing was a waste. But if you spent your whole time just like meandering and like looking at the beauty of everything and like taking it all in and smelling the flowers and all that, then when it ends out of nowhere, you're just like, sweet, I'm at peace with that. So Mm, yeah, like like, I'm really not in a rush.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I like that. Okay. And so when you say stop and smell the roses, like what's your form of smelling the roses? Like what do you do to like, what does that actually look like?
3: Yeah. I think, I think think that's that's just like
2: a metaphorical way.
3: Like, it's literally just like living life, like actually enjoying life. Like the things that I, that I do, I tend to focus on like, is this something that I actually enjoy right now? And I don't often sacrifice a lot of like, um, yeah, I, I don't, I don't make a lot of like sacrifices. I, I, I'm always aware of like, what's the worst. So you, you mentioned, like, I always look at like, how do I not fuck it up? How do I not lose it all? And so I apply that same kind of thinking to, um my like day-to-day life it's like how do i not lose it all in terms of my sanity in terms of my joy in t- in terms of my like love that i have for for the world around me and the people around me so like if doing something in my business that i'm like really really excited about would lose me my health like my fitness i'm just not going to do it like i'm just going to do it slower because i would rather scale my business a bit slower in a way where i can still maintain my health than scale my business faster and give up my health. So like stopping and smelling the roses is like, to me, that's just like spending time in like spending time with my family, spending time with my friends, spending time with, with my partner, like um, spending my time working on fun projects in my business, spending my time, like working out, spending my own time eating well and like enjoying all of those things and not doing any one of them in excess to the point that it then like takes away from the other one in, in a way that I'm, that, it is like just not not productive if that makes sense do you meditate no no
2: do you have any, I, and do you have anything that looks like meditation like that's not maybe like formally meditation um at times like i i find i
3: i i'm really big into motorcycles and i find riding like riding my motorcycles yeah, okay. um, often very meditative and then like sometimes i will i'll get into a habit of like going for a walk every morning um, I don't do that right now, but like, I went through a couple years of like going, going for a walk every morning and that was very meditative for me. Do you or have any, a like, sauna? Yeah. In the sauna, I, I wouldn't describe that as much as med, like that's my, that's part of my morning routine now is that I go in the sauna every morning, but I don't really meditate mm-hmm. in there so much. Like I, I read in there, um, or I'll just like, uh, like hang out and like kind of get my day started, like check some emails, that kind of stuff. Oh, got it. okay. Um, okay. Yeah. I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that's as meditative as like my morning walks used to be, for example.
2: Yeah. Okay. Do you follow any kind of specific diets or anything like that? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, so for,
3: so for the last like seven years, I, um, seven, eight years, maybe, um, I, I don't eat. So I basically eat like, um, mostly raw green vegetables, don't eat meat except for, uh, except for seafood and eggs. Um, and uh and no dairy um so that and then i've got like multivitamins i take every day um probiotic i take every day that kind of thing like i'm i'm I'm, like pretty specific about what i eat
2: okay how many months uh, so you live obviously is it it's in toronto with Amher, right and and your girlfriend christine i want to say yeah 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 okay How, how many months of the year uh do you spend in that location
3: So historically, like, so I've been in this house for like four, three, three years, four years now. And like historically I would, I would be gone for like anywhere from three to six months out of the year. Now I find traveling, like just, this is just very recent for me, but I find traveling to be like more of a pain in the ass than, than like anything else for the most part. Um,
2: just because just of like COVID restrictions and things. No, like that. no.
3: Just, just because like, um, just because like when I move somewhere, I've got to like find a new gym to go to. Like I've got, I've got to find like, where do I buy my, like, I don't really buy groceries. I like either get them delivered or get on a meal plan. So then I've got to like sort that out. And then I've got to like set up my workspace again. It's like all that just creates a lot of friction. So, and because I'm like so busy with growing the business now where before I was like kind of cruising, like there wasn't a lot, like I definitely wasn't working nearly as many hours as I am now um, over the last couple of years. So now that I'm working as much and very excited to be working that much, I prefer to kind of stay in one place. So yeah, I think like for the next year, I'm probably going to spend maybe like a month or two, um, away from here.
2: I love, I love the honesty and the truth of that because, you know, like, I feel like there's like this whole like Instagram kind of entrepreneur sort of. I don't want to say myth because I mean, maybe some people actually genuinely in- enjoy it, but it seems like there's like this like kind of persona that a lot of guys have that are in a similar boat to you where they're like, I'm traveling the world. Like you could live a life like me, you know, like that kind of thing. And then meanwhile, here's you like, yeah, no, I actually just prefer fucking staying at home. You know, <laughs> like, yeah. Like I, I also just love Toronto,
3: man. Like everywhere I go, yeah, okay. I'm reminded of how you much look, I okay, love yeah. Toronto. I guess it
2: helps if you love where yeah. you live. Yeah,
3: yeah, for sure. And like, I hate the winter. So like that sucks. Cause like, I really hate being in Toronto in the, in the winter time. Um, and I guess like if it were an ideal world, I would just like go in and like live in, uh, in the U S for the winter time in like one specific place. And I think that's what I'm going to work towards. And like, Christine now has a remote job. So that's like more feasible, but, um, yeah, like traveling around and like jumping around places is like, I did that for a while and it's sick. Like it actually is really fun and I enjoy it, but there's a very real opportunity cost to it. So,
2: Okay. I'm also going to ask a bunch of questions that may seem odd and they may not lead anywhere, but then I just kind of jump to the next one. But do you sure. own a vehicle? Uh, just like five motorcycles, but no, no car. Okay. Okay. Cause I, for some reason I was talking to you. I was like, man, I bet this guy doesn't own a fucking car. Like I don't know. He no, definitely like a car not car a car. Definitely not. Yeah. A car. Okay. But five motorcycles. Yeah. Are they yeah. all in the house? Uh. So I've got, uh, no, no. So
3: basically I've got like, <laughs> So it's five between my, between my girlfriend and I, cause Christine started riding too. I've got, yeah okay. so she's got one and then I've got three and then we share another one. Um, we've got three of them at the, at the house here and then two in the shop right now. Cause like I, I have a lot of vintage bikes, um, and yeah, they're like 50 years old and they're just like kind of perpetually in the shop. There's a running joke along my, uh, amongst my friends that like, I've had this one motorcycle that I, I built it. Um, it's like, a, it's a vintage Honda that I like tore down mm-hmm. and rebuilt. And it's been in the shop for literally two years now. And I've been waiting to get it out of the shop for two years. So,
2: um, have, have yeah. you, I mean, I, I know you don't read much, but have you read the book Zen and the uh, art of motorcycle? Maybe? Yeah. Yeah. Good book. Okay. Okay. I, okay. Um, good. Hmm, interesting okay and, and did like were you always into motorcycles like right as a kid or was that like kind of a
3: yeah like growing up i i like bought this shitty like little moped with my with my buddy when i was in high school and we like souped it up and would ride it around and stuff and i always wanted to buy a motorcycle um and then yeah finally like i think it was my first year dming whatever year that was i bought this like kawasaki ninja like the like beginner like sports bike kind of thing and then i just like Started buying more bikes and like kind of bought a bike every year since then and just like just fell in love with all the different like the culture around motorcycling and everything about it. So I bought like all these different types of motorcycles and then fell in love with more. And then I'm like, oh man, there's just like like one of one of the things that like I'm not big on material possessions. Um, and like I don't own much. Like literally, all my clothing fits into a backpack. And like if I like I don't have emotional attachment to anything in this entire house, like I could just get up and leave it all behind other than like, other than Christine, obviously. Um, maybe Amber, yeah, I'd be a little, yeah, I'd be a little bit wow. <laughs> with him. But like, yeah, like, I like material items I'm not big on, um, at all, but like motorcycles, I just, I just love
2: them. They're just like, would you, would you classify yourself as like a minimalist or is that just kind of like a, a yeah, separate thing that you have going on? I would. Yeah. I, 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 I like try to practice minimalism. And why is that just out of curiosity? Like, is that like a, I think that's another, another
3: way that I'm like clear headed. It's like not owning stuff is incredible. Like one of the things that I, one of the biggest things that I like actual real things that I got directly from leaving everything behind and, uh, and going and, and like screwing off to Thailand was I was in the, in the world of accumulating a lot of stuff when I was DMing. I like lived in this like fancy condo, had a bunch of watches, had a bunch of clothes, had a fucking like necktie collection, like a car, all this other shit. Mm, And and then like, I just went backpacking, lived in a backpack and like, I put all my stuff in storage. And then I was just like, this is so much better. Like, I don't have to worry about anything. It just like, it's so freeing to know that like, I could literally like, I could actually just like, I keep all my things in a backpack, like all my clothes. I literally keep a backpack in the bottom of my closet. And then I, I could literally like in 10 minutes, be like packed out the door or gone wherever i want to be and there's just like so much mental space that gets freed up from that um yeah i just i just love it i love not having is things. there a specific
2: brand of clothing you that you've come to rely upon <laughs> yeah lululemon yeah okay i'm yeah
3: yeah yeah, yeah it's, it's yeah. just a,
2: yeah it's a game changer yeah lulus yeah yeah I'm, I'm in that same boat um okay so what does christine do for work just out of curiosity yeah. So she just got a new job a few months back.
3: She's uh, she's with Hootsuite now. Um, she does like uh, compensation. So she basically is like a compensation. Now she's in like compensation and benefits with them where she like helps them strategize um, basically like how much their teams are going to get paid and like w- what their benefit plans are going to look like. that
2: kind what of What did she do? What, what was her uh, uh, job over the last five years? If it was maybe one or two. So
3: she, yeah. So she like, she started out when I first met her, she was working at um, Mercer, which is like a uh, benefits consulting company. Um, so like okay. big companies okay. would go to them and be like, hey, help us with our, find like a benefits plan for our teams. And then she okay. left them um, to work with uh, with BMO uh, as a compensation yeah, specialist. Okay. So just purely figuring okay. out like what their teams would, would make a salary, stuff like that. And then she basically like BMO was like, just kind of not a great, um, like work culture, like yeah, not a lot of freedom, that kind of thing. So she moved over to Hootsuite with it being a much smaller company and like a lot more freedom, enjoys it a lot more.
2: Okay. So is it safe to say that she works a traditional nine-to-five job for the most part? Yeah. How, how do you um, – have you – how long have you guys been uh, dating? Three, Three years. years. Okay. Three years. Have you guys ever struggled with the fact that maybe you have a lot more freedom than she does like with your job or – no not
3: not really honestly like um you you'd think so and like I've certainly um had that dynamic in other relationships one of the things I love about Christine is that like she's very independent um and I think that so there's kind of two things that that lead to us not really having a lot of conflict there one is that she's really independent so like I would just go to Asia for a month and like do a trip there and she would just like stay behind maybe come for like a week if she could and like that just wasn't a big deal like we would miss each other obviously K-suite. right um K-suite. but like it's not like, oh man, you, you, you know, you like to travel more than you love me and like this big thing. Um, so there's that. And then there's also the, the aspect of like, I, I tend to like really think through what I do and how I spend my time. So like, if I go and travel and I'm, and I'm making a conscious decision to not spend time with that time with Christine, if I'm traveling without her, then I'm going, this is something that I like actually feel I need to like, you know, either just go and like do something I enjoy you know, meet up with friends that I haven't seen in a long time or whatever. And so Christine knows that that's something that I need and not something that I'm just like not thinking about. And so she doesn't then feel like, oh, he's just choosing travel over me. And I also oftentimes don't travel as much as like when I'm, when I'm with her as, as when I am, as when, like before, like before I, I got into a relationship with Christine, I was just purely nomadic. Like I didn't have a home base, um, for like a couple years there, but then, um, but then when I met Christine, like, I was, like, a lot more planted. Um, and that's largely just because, like, in a lot of scenarios now, I would rather be in Toronto with Christine, even if it's, like, January and I hate it here, than be in Florida or Texas not with Christine. Because, like, I just Makes love sense. Christine, love spending time with her. So, How old are you? 27.
2: Man, given all of your life experience, I was expecting you to just definitely be like mid 30s
3: <laughs> yeah 27 like, it, it, it's incredible it's incredible yeah i know
2: yeah that's that's fucking that's very inspiring that's very cool um hmm. yeah very cool i mean that's pretty much all the questions i had i don't i don't know if em or jay uh, uh austin you guys yeah talking. i
1: was i was wanting to ask you this uh, of a tangent you mentioned about worrying you brought it up twice worrying about material possessions worrying about being leveraged um what what would you respond to somebody say, Oh, James, like, I think you should just work on your mindset, maybe you just worry too much, or your threshold for worrying is too low. What would you answer to that? Um,
3: I'm trying to think I'm trying to like think through um those two examples. So like, worrying about material possessions um i yeah i wouldn't describe it as worry the the former like the, the so about like being leveraged worry is a, an accurate word to use with like owning things it's just like it takes mental space it's not necessarily a worry that it creates it's like a mental space that it takes up of just like I own this thing, I need to like, if I leave, I need to figure out what to do with that thing. I need to like either take it out of the house and down to the curb, or I need to sell the thing, or I need to move the thing into storage. Um, if I own a thing like a car, oh my God, I have to like, worry about putting gas in that thing, getting oil changes on that thing, getting the tires rotated on that thing, putting winter tires on that thing, getting insurance on that I thing, see. like all that other stuff that like, it's just so much mental space that it
1: takes up. It's like the second and third order consequences yeah. around the responsibilities of owning those
2: things Correct. that you're just like, I just don't I, want to eliminate it at the root. Yeah. So yeah, like that's a really good point, man. Unwinding some shit like like getting into something can always be super easy but unwinding something can be like a whole fucking beast oh it's so annoying like
3: literally when i was buying furniture for for the for the house here i was like I'm not, I'm going to be very conscious to not spend enough on anything that I would care about just walking away from it.
0: Wow. Right.
3: Cause it's like, as soon as you buy that nice couch, that's like a $3,000 couch, then you're like on some level. And like, I could work on this mentally. If I like actually had a desire to own a nicer couch and like wanted to then I could go, okay, I'm just going to like do the mental work to not to like be okay with walking away from that $3,000 couch. Cause like realistically I can walk away from a $3,000 couch, not the end of the world, just mental work. Right. But, um, Yeah. I just, I don't really care enough to own a $3,000 couch to like put in that mental work, but yeah, I just was really conscious of like making sure that Mm -hmm. anything was like not expensive or nice or like sentimental enough that I would care about walking away from it. So that if I choose to like, just leave this place, I don't have to hire movers and like fucking deal with that. And all I can literally just be like, no, I'm just going to go and like go to the next place ask my landlord to just buy this stuff off me for, or like take it, like literally just like rent it, rent the place furnished when I leave. And then I'll just leave and like not have to hire movers and I'll just like buy it again, get Amazon to deliver it right to my door and just be done with it, right? Yeah. So um, that's around the stuff. Around the leverage, yeah, I could, um, I could certainly do mental work to become like more accepting of like risk, but I don't want to. I think that like that kind of like, like worrying about risk is good. Um, and you just kind of have to like, you have to set your barometer of like how much risk you're willing to tolerate. And i very consciously have set my, my bar for how much risk I'm willing to tolerate at where it is because of like what I'm optimizing for. And so to like do the mental work, to raise that bar, to be accepting of more risk would be counterproductive to where I want to be like what I'm optimizing for. So
1: total makes total sense. The other thing I wanted to ask you about is like um, there's a very clear sense of your clear mindedness comes from uh, moderation. And you said not being an idiot, which is not filling your mind with shit. How do you balance that heuristic with consuming YouTube, TikTok or some sort of like Netflix or movies with maintaining that clear mindedness? How do you find that balance, Mm -hmm. if any? Yeah.
3: yeah, um, I just try not to like consume shit. Um, So like TikTok is shit. Instagram is shit um, and YouTube is a lot of good stuff because um, there's like a lot that you can learn from from YouTube um, but there's also a bunch of shit on YouTube. Netflix kind of falls into the same bucket um, so I try to be intentional. Same bucket not, as YouTube sorry? Um. Same Same bucket in the sense that like there's a lot of shit and there's some and there's some good yeah, stuff. Yeah okay okay. Um, yeah. So yeah. So I guess I try and I'm not perfect at it, um, but like I do try my, like, I don't, I don't ever go on TikTok. Um, I don't ever really go on Instagram. I go on Instagram the odd time to, to like respond to some DMs. Cause like they're, we're, we're using that as a business growth thing. Um, but uh, yeah, never go on TikTok. Um, hardly ever go on Instagram and don't have any kind of a problem with like moderating my time on there. Um, YouTube, I can get, I can get a little bit, um, I can take a bit more time than I'd like to. But I guess I I look at it as like I try to use it for what like what purpose it can serve me. I try to have it serve me rather than like me being subservient to it. So, um mm, I like that. Yeah, so like like I've identified that if I don't get some entertainment in my life I go nuts I go bananas so like if I don't just like chill out at the end of the day and like watch an episode of The Office with Christine or like watch some like video on YouTube that's just like it's not
2: I'm not
0: learning something Dude, I'm, on that, mm-hmm.
2: I'm on that Office game too man that Office game with Trisha is, is strong yeah it's The Office so I think good. has like this like disability it
0: just puts it, you it puts you. It casts a spell over it's you if someone like, wrote a self phone
2: The Office would have to be a recommendation for like it, would like, it might be it might be the (laughs) optimal thing of like having some level of life lesson but just being completely ridiculous there are some episodes of the office
0: though that when you watch them when you're going to bed it actually makes you cringe too hard that you wake up like (laughs)
2: like like, sometimes dude, with Michael like- yeah sometimes with Michael Scott <laughs> sometimes with Trisha. like I literally put a pillow over yeah. my head like as if it's a horror movie i like I can't <laughs> fucking handle the cringe like I, you know <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah like I was watching the episode where Date Mike came out uh, when I was going to bed and up. I was just like and then I was like oh my god this is bothersome and I was like James are you just I, I a was, total savage will- where
2: you can just watch The Office just like straight face the whole time just like staring at the screen <laughs>
3: no I'm, I'm constantly I don't I actually don't find The Office that I find that like Date Mike I find hilarious like i don't cringe at that at yeah, all yeah, i'm just yeah. like this is so funny
2: yeah wait So no, you I, can you can stare it. through michael scott's cringe no problem
0: i laugh through it i don't
2: stare through oh, it like some man, serial killer savage, but I, I can't I, no i'm oh more like
0: God. i i would like a good episode about dwight Schrute, maybe you know with mose and stuff That. That's oh yeah funny, so. okay
2: but i like that so so basically you you you've um you've incorporated entertainment into your life in a way that you feel like it's <laughs> yeah. not necessarily impeding on your on your long-term success
3: well, I actually think it's supporting it, right? Like I, I kind of identified like how much do I, how much entertainment do I need moderation. in a day to, to like not go nuts, but also to not go overboard with entertainment, right? So it's like, what's the sweet spot for
0: you? Yeah. Have you found it?
3: Yeah. For, for, so for me, like the sweet spot is like, um, I, one YouTube video, one like good, I like Cody Ko on YouTube. Um, his videos oh, are just so like- So good. Yo, yo, have you seen the Real Bros of Simi Valley? Have you watched that? No, I've seen like part of an episode. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Never mind it. We'll put it down there. Yeah. Like, I, I really like his YouTube <laughs> channel because it's like, I don't like shit like, um, I, I, I don't like a lot of the like, um, like a lot of stuff on youtube can be like entertaining but it's also like like training your mind in a way that, that's not great so like the nelk boys i think falls into this really really effectively yeah, Is totally. like it's like entertainment but it's also just like garbage and it's just like training you to like just be like think about like shitty stuff and like anything anything like that cody co is just like this like mid 30s do you watch dude. the that's cringe yeah
0: yeah stuff like every day pretty much like
3: no like i like i um I was in a really good flow on it. Like Cody doesn't come up with videos every day. So like I'll watch his stuff like oh, in the okay. morning while I eat my breakfast, I'll eat, I'll watch like one of his videos or there's a few others that I'll watch like um, stuff made here. They're like ones where, where guys are just like making like engineers that are also charismatic they have this like incredible niche on YouTube where like, if you find a charismatic engineer, like Mark Rober is probably the most famous example of one. Yeah, he's awesome. Yeah. And there's like, but there's like stuff made here and I forget what the other one is called, but I like to watch one of them where it's like, it's entertaining and it may or may not be educational, um but like it's really just for entertainment value and it's not also garbage one of those in the morning and then like a couple episodes of the office like one or two episodes of the office with christine at at night is like great for me
2: i feel like Man, good. i love no, again I know, it's the kind of inverse thing. i love that you're looking at it like okay like okay if entertainment is a, a is a must which in your case it is okay mm-hmm. you're saying okay fine like if I must entertain myself, let it not be garbage. (laughs) Yeah. You know, which I like because so many people get into this trap where it's like, okay, like I have to entertain myself. It's like, yes, but it doesn't have to be garbage. You know, it doesn't have Mm. to be, uh, I don't even know, just something that's garbage. Like uh, some Mm. negative, you know, some negative YouTube video where you're watching with the downfall of some guy or something like
1: that. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm.
2: I like it. Man, we're
1: at two and a half hours just like that
0: evaporated
1: done it's good just straight straight up um yeah james what do you think of this conversation this is good this is this is fun yeah Yeah, i enjoy chilling with you guys yeah man um Hmm. as a at the end here austin likes to ask a question but before we even go there like i'm curious how can we help you you obviously gave us your time um what is something you're working on what is something you're promoting where can people find you what's the next step for you that maybe we can help out. Yeah, I'd say like one of the things
3: that we're really working on right now with BNB Inner Circle is we're hiring um, some salespeople. And I know that a lot of the listeners on the on the podcast here would be probably a pretty good fit because I know you guys are like a lot of student works uh, alum and like, and people in student works. Um, we'd be really interested to speak with anyone that's like looking to get into it. So it is a full-time sales role. Um, and yeah, if anyone's interested in that, they can just like shoot me an email. Um, james at BNB dot com um or just check out our website bnbinnercircle.com and uh and find us there find me on social media whatever like just get in touch with me some way um that's like the main thing is like we're we're pretty aggressively hiring right now and we're looking to build a team of like a players um and yeah so if anyone in your audience is interested in reach
0: out to me and we'd love to to set up a time to talk
1: cool Austin, hit it with a question. Uh,
0: yeah, everyone we bring on, we just ask the same question to. And and uh, I'd be really curious to know what you think. It's It's what do you think the most key attributes are to the next generation leader? What do you mean? What? So, for example, in terms of like the most. The Most poignant, wow, this is hilarious. My light turns <laughs> off at 10 p.m. automatically mm-hmm. every night. It's a great question. I
2: vote that we, that we change our question because we have never asked this question and had the guest just give a response. It's always been like, What the fuck are you talking about? It's always been a question. It is never like, No one's ever been like, Boom, boom, boom. It's, ne- it's actually no, not, not, even that's that's it like, it's not even a question. That's what makes it a great question. We need to upgrade our system here. yeah.
1: No, no. But, John, the secret to that question is we see that the guest has. How they handle confusing yeah, yeah, exactly. problem so, solving? Man, I, Yo, so.
2: I can't turn my light back on. This <laughs> but, you is know, but but again, it goes back to James's point that he like instantly is trying to seek to understand. Right? Like he's like, oh, hold dude, on, let me oh, understand 100%. this question before I fucking answer. It. Like I'm not just gonna no, no. It. This yeah. is why
0: I like the question so much. Yeah. Okay. I'm just gonna have to ask it in the dark, unfortunately. literally my. <laughs> no, life I, like it. I like it's like much it's more, more mysterious. Yo, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is hilarious. I have one of these like smart light bulbs that you have to turn on with an app, and of course the app isn't working
2: because that's too of a fucking hassle yeah this is this is such a fail it is a little
0: bit of hassle um, but it's
3: great for discipline right because it's just like no you're amish at 10 p.m it is I'm, to, go I'm, to bed guys
0: i'm supposed to be in bed right now you clearly. should do that with your okay, whole so. like your
3: main electricity panel like your electricity is just <laughs> off at 10 p.m your you're breaker done. just flips
0: yeah <laughs> Oh man. Uh so let me let me reframe the question because you essentially just hit me with a one. <laughs> yeah. So I have to start over from the beginning. Uh, so you guys if you guys are listening, there's just a black screen yeah. that's talking right. Just a, maybe <laughs> a like a shot. Like just... Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like super close to my yeah. computer. Okay. If you in I would say most people answer this in like one to three characteristics. So it could just be one word or three You know, adjectives that you would use to describe the most poignant leader or business owner of the future. I I feel like
3: I still need I still need some some additional clarification on this. So when you say you're you're looking for the 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 top three characteristics of like one individual business leader, or like what Mm -hmm. is optimal for being a business leader, or me
0: as a business leader? Like, what do you what do you mean? What is optimal for? a business leader specifically from today forward, not from today backwards and what you've seen, what you think is going to be necessary yeah. to be a top business leader. Oh yeah. I, I gotta just give that. And I don't know, to be honest. Um, like,
2: <laughs> like, <laughs> I, if I, if I, like, no, 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 James no, but <laughs> finally hit us with a veto. <laughs> no. yeah, he literally <laughs> he just, just he went, just he do it. Just no, trouble, but me but yeah. out, Like
3: if, if I, if I knew that I would be, I would like, 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 i i I don't know that I don't know if it's accurate to say that if I knew that I would be a top business leader, but like if I knew that, I certainly would be like more like closer along that spectrum so like i'm I'm building out a real proper like highly skilled a player team for the first time ever right now, so like that's kind of the one one of the things that I'm looking to solve, and I also don't really think there's like one correct
0: answer to that um so one of the things that like yeah. Yeah. Does that make sense? Okay. If there wasn't a right answer, what would be some of okay. what you think? Could what be? are some of the things that I think are, are like good
3: characteristics or strong characteristics to have yeah. in a business leader? Um, I think one of the things that I respect the most that I'm like is mo- that I, I think is is likely to be the most successful. I don't know how to describe this in like a like a one word characteristic, but I really believe in leading with context rather than control. It's something that I grabbed from Netflix, um, and it's something that we built into our our culture very heavily, um, and that we're working to keep in our in our culture very heavily is like leading with context, not control. Um, and I just think that if you're if you're looking at like real leadership real leadership is not telling someone what to do. It's um, like real leadership is effectively a lot more similar to coaching than like management. And in order to to lead people really effectively, they need like, the way I view it is like Netflix uses really, really awesome analogy that I really love, which is like, it's a a boat, right? Like we're all getting on a ship and we're all taking that ship to like our vision, which is like the the end result that we're aiming for. Um, And then our values in the company are the context of how we're going to operate to get there. So we can all be rowing this boat in, like in, in sync in the same direction. Um, and so when I, when I give everyone the context of like, Hey, this is where we're going and this is how we're going to operate in order to get there. Then I then remove myself from having to go like, Hey, you row Like, here's your rhythm row. Exactly like this. Don't innovate. Don't think like, just do it. So Yeah. Leading with context, not control. I don't know what like a one word characteristic for that would be. Um, but that's one thing that I personally believe is like, like
0: uh, a a good way to lead. I'd never, I, I would say now that you've explained it, I fully agree. I had just never thought of the idea, like the boat analogy. I hadn't heard that before. Yeah. And the idea that even just having one person paddle in the, in an opposite direction or not paddle at all for one hour. Would compound that out over a whole voyage would, yeah, you know, be a pretty noticeable difference.
3: Yeah, for sure. Yeah, this and is, so
0: finding the right people is really like you said, where find the right
3: people and then giving the, those people the right context. That's like literally like that is how I view my role as a as a leader within the company. Is like find the right people, put them in the right places, give them the right context to do a great job. And like this was a huge yeah. breakthrough for me because like literally four months ago i thought that like mission vision values was like woo woo fairy dust garbage that you did not need mm. and it's <laughs> been like this total Very breakthrough good. for me to realize like and it was like, catalyzed by jacob coming onto the team because he's like the first like i said like real a player like really mm. like great solid person where i can genuinely look at him and be like i i could do this myself or i could hand it to jacob and if i hand it to jacob it's just as likely to be successful he's gonna he's gonna do a great job he's gonna do it like potentially even better than I would in a lot of areas. And so like me telling Jacob what to do actually hurts the business. And so I was like how the fuck do I solve that problem? Cuz like if I mm. tell him what to do, it hurts the business because it doesn't have, give him the freedom to like do his own thing. But if I just let him yeah. go wild, then he doesn't have the right context to like know what's going on and do the yeah. right stuff. So yeah, if I give weird. him that context, then give him freedom within that
0: context, then he can like really crush it. So I like that. Beautiful, beautiful, James. Well, definitely based on where this conversation and question started and where this is ending, I think we made a great improvement in terms of originally a what, then a no. (laughs) (laughs) Now this, So I'm going to say we got there. Very good. And and I would say a top contender with everyone we've had on. So, Um, yeah.
2: James, I know, yeah, this was yeah. awesome, man. Like, I, I, uh, I, I didn't really know what to expect, other than I, I figured it'd be pretty reasonable because, I mean, Ammer speaks so highly of you, and he chose to live with you. So, I mean, that's a pretty like
1: <laughs> contentious, I <laughs> hear.
2: A, no, but that's a pretty yeah. no, no. That's a pretty big commitment, though. Like, you know, like yeah, yeah. like as far as like you know, uh, that, that's like placing a flag in the ground that you like. At least yes. respect someone enough that you're gonna live with them. And so so I was like, okay, this guy has to be pretty reasonable. This is even beyond my expectations. So like, this is fantastic. Definitely want to have you on again. I mean, I uh yeah, it's very inspiring. Yeah. Thanks for coming on, man. Yeah, thanks for having me guys.
3: Loved uh loved being here. This is great. Um, likewise, really awesome to to get to hang out with you guys and to meet you finally, John. Heard lots of great things about you from uh from Ammer. So yeah,
1: really, really great and would love to be on again. Yeah, I had a whole bunch of other topics that I think could go like 30 minutes. So for next time, um, I already got the list here. So there we go. We're good. Thanks, guys. And if you're listening, thanks for listening. Um, check out uh, James at what's the website again? Uh, yeah, BNB,
3: just Bob, Nancy, Bob um, at innercircle.com Or sorry, BNB inner dot com.
1: Yeah, perfect. All right, guys. Thanks for listening. Thanks for joining us on the week call. Enjoy the rest of your night.
2: Boom. Is that around. Yeah, that was really good. Yeah. All right, just like that, man.
0: Hey, listeners, thanks so much for tuning in this week. As usual, you can find us on Instagram at The Weekly Call Pod or through email at TheWeeklyCallPod at gmail.com for any questions or comments about any of our material. And just to kind of pick our brain or even challenge us on a few things we said today. The intro and outro music was brought to you today by William Scott Thompson. You can find him on Spotify under that name. He has a lot of other great material on there that you can go listen to as well. Thanks so much for tuning in this week, guys. We'll see you soon.